When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Ortiz fights it off center field. Damon running to the plate, and he can keep on running to New York. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today, but here comes a pizza. See it? This is our fucking city, and nobody's gonna dictate our city. Stay strong. Welcome back to the Neighbor Acting Podcast, America's most beloved podcast, the most downloaded Red Sox podcast in the world. Your speculation was incorrect. Everyone thought that we were delaying the podcast because we were waiting for Lucas Giolito to come on, uh, waiting for the signing to go through. No, uh, Tyler just didn't have internet. Hey, listen, we're a team here. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but Tyler <laughs> didn't have internet. Uh, <laughs> what? I can own it. We we had a bit of a crisis in the Millican household. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the wires, not what are they called? Not National Geographic, uh, National Grid, <laughs> the electric National company. National Geographic. I don't know. I, they National were Geographic it. couldn't come over to fix your internet, so that's why we couldn't do the podcast well, for three days. We were having an electrical issue. It short shut mm-hmm. or it short circuited our whole router, so our yep. router has been damaged. The guy came yesterday. He's like, I can't do a ton. He's like, I can do enough until you can call them and get the wire fixed so we can record. He was a fan of you, Jared. He legit came into my room. He's looking at my box. He goes, he goes, you know, Jared Carabas. I was like, yeah, yeah, we, we do a podcast together. A Red Sox one. He's like, that dude's the fucking man. I was like, right. I was like, cool. All right, man. I was like, just get it working. He's, he's like, right. Tyler. <laughs> he was spitting. I, I, he's hundred percent correct. And the Red Sox have finally signed somebody, Lou. The Red Sox have spent American currency on Lucas Giolito. Bigfoot. Suck on it. Everyone who said the Red Sox were poverty, you're incorrect. They've spent money, real American money. One more time, Lou. The Red Sox have not just spent money, but they have signed, I guess, maybe not a top tier, but like a one... B tier starting pitcher. He's alive. He breathes oxygen. He has American blood. His name is Lucas Giolito. And and is, I have a little bit of hope now. I have a little bit of hope. I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this, Lou, but that's that's personally how I feel. I have a little bit of hope now. Well, I mean, it's it's better than missing out on him. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I listen, I like I like Giolito. Like I know there's last couple years there's a lot going on, but good God, they got to a point, right? Where we were just like, Can I just get somebody? I need somebody. Now, I would have felt a lot better if there was that ace on top, right? Yeah. If you had a Yamamoto Giolito sort of we can get him right combination, awesome. Yeah. But man, you need innings, you need bodies. Like if these guys started going off the board, you wonder what the hell you're gonna get. So they got somebody, not the top guy, but he throws well, middle of that rotation type pitcher. Tyler, yeah. uh, I know that you historically, uh, you've 
gotten fired because of Red Sox acquisitions. Uh, you, <laughs> you've you've done some weird stuff in light of the Red Sox acquiring baseball players. I'm curious what your live reaction was to Lucas Giolito. And, and did we spoil it for you? Did it take some of the excitement out of it? No, because I think when we were talking in the chat, we didn't we didn't put anything cement out there. I know you mm-hmm. posted the little picture, but mm-hmm. I was sitting there and curious because we've talked about it with the Red Sox. How many times where they've been in on a guy we've talked about in the scoop shop where we've heard, oh, there's something there. And then we hear they lose out. And I think Honestly, that is, I think I think Lou should be in the scoop shop. Oh, I agree. I definitely yeah. think Lou should be because anything that, that I felt like I was a little bit last night. Yeah. Anything that I put in the scoop just shop, I usually just tell Lou on the side anyway. It was yeah. cooking yesterday. Yesterday yeah, was Lou one of the best well scoop, be scoop shop shop. days in a long time. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of juice. And How this morning as well. Shop? I mean, I kind of want to get into scoop shop. Yeah, sounds I, like fun. You deserve it. You deserve it. Because unlike Tyler, like you actually bring something to the table. So oh. I feel like <laughs> thanks. Well, I'm just saying, like, how many scoops have you brought to the table, Tyler? You're all for a million. I'm more of the like humor guy in the group chat or the, you know, I bring something <laughs> different to the, the table. Tyler's see, the scoop shop glue guy. <laughs> but see, that's kind of like the thing. I'm not so sure I want to be in the scoop shop, shop because then I kind of feel like pressured to be that guy. Like, no, no, it's not scoop. like a, it's not like a take a penny, leave a penny. It's just like there's just pennies sometimes. All right. I might just take a bunch of pennies. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'll add. Nobody else except Jared has dropped a scoop in there. But yeah. the people who were like, Tyler's a fucking idiot when I texted you socks, question mark. In the yeah. scoop shop. Like, yeah. who the fuck else is he talking about? We've mm-hmm. heard things about other teams in that chat before. Mm-hmm. But I think when I found <laughs> out about the Giolito news, I was eating some buffalo tenders I had ordered from the 99. So okay, I had to step out. away from that for a second. But yeah. yeah, I think the most refreshing thing out of all this and knowing earlier is that they beat out a couple teams that were clearly in on him. The Mets specifically, their Twitter looks like Red Sox Twitter right now. The Dodgers were interested. There was some yeah. connection to the Orioles. So it's nice to have a guy they at least wanted and got. But he's in the second pool. He's not in that first pool like uh, Lou kind of put together there. And I think the one thing that does stand out about him is the innings and the stability, something you haven't had in a long time. He should at least be a Rick Porcello type of guy. At the very worst. And I think that mm-hmm. kind of proves true as you dive deeper into what he was last year and in 2022. Tyler, you just hit on it too. Like that was like the best part was you saying, seeing some of those tweets that the Mets were interested, you know, the Mets made offers, you know, the Red Sox got him. Um, because I, I thought I felt like like Red Sox Twitter is freaking, by the way, out Gross. of control. It's, it's out never, of control. It is out of I, control. I've I've never seen anything like this before. It's almost <laughs> like hurry up and sign someone because I can't wait to shred that guy five ways, you know, and just be like, I need somebody go sign Snell. Awesome. He'll never want to pitch here. He's going to throw 130 innings. He gets hurt all the time. Please go sign Montgomery. Show you're not cheap. Awesome. Guy doesn't strike anybody out. Our defense sucks. You just wasted $27 million on a four and a half ERA pitcher. Give me somebody. Giolito. Awesome. Gave up more home runs the last two years. It's like, it's a frenzy. Like they just want a warm body. And yeah. they just want to devour, devour yeah. this body and start shredding the signing. So they finally got somebody and it's Giolito. But at least you got a guy that can give you some innings. It's good. Well, well I, I've seen the comparison, like a civil war is happening on Red Sox Twitter. It's not even a civil war. It's it's the purge. Ugh. It's the purge. Like people are just outright doing uh, diabolical shit right now on Red Sox Twitter. Yeah. And to your point, Lou, I don't think that there is a realistic move out there that will satisfy the masses. 
Like, I don't think no. that there's anything that they can realistically do where it will quiet down the fans. Uh, I, I know that like just signing Giolito is it's it's a sign of life. But then when you look at how the deal's broken down, he can opt out after one year. It's a pillow contract. Like yeah. he's here to either be good and be gone after one year, or he's not going to perform. And then you're stuck with him more or less for another year. So it's it, for as much as you want to sit there and say they spent money, they brought in a guy that fans know his name, you know, shout out Cooper Criswall. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's one of those where like, okay, there's name recognition here, but it's like, how excited can you possibly be when it's a one year pillow contract situation? Yeah, I think that that's the biggest issue too. That's why a lot of people now are talking about trades. We'll see what the next move is, but um, I, I, you know, you need a solution to the rotation this year. And but I'd like to have one for the move moving forward, like in the future. Like, like you just mentioned, when I saw like the, the two year deal, I was like, okay. And then the opt out after one, I'm like, did Michael Walker have an opt out after one? And when he was really good, he left, you know, and I remember Paxton never got healthy, but I was like, awesome. We're going to rehab Paxton. Then he's going to walk. Yeah. Like, it's sort of like, it's really low risk. If he throws well, we win, but then he walks. So it's short-sighted. It's like, I need somebody with bail for the next four, five, six years, you know, and if it's not a guy like Yamamoto, if you don't believe in in Snell, if you don't believe in Montgomery, these one-year deals, it's so like we're right back at it again next year. And it'd be nice if they addressed it through trade with some of the guys. Anybody out in Seattle, Luzardo, you know, down in Miami, just knowing you have somebody with Bayo for a few years because Pavetta's a free agent at the end of the year. Sale's a free agent at the end of the year. Giolito will be a free agent at the end of the year. I don't even know what the hell the rotation looks like, but I do know that not many people are here next year. No, looking at no, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and we don't know who the manager is going to be because he's no. on a one year deal as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know how that situation is going to go. Uh, Tyler, you you read the uh, Catillo piece. What, what were some of the cliff notes? I won't contribute to his clicks. Yeah, it was very simple. It was kind of at the end of his piece, it was talking about you know Whitlock and his offseason, but he kind of just mentioned and it felt like no one had really put that or it out there in this way, but he kind of said it feels unlikely that core is going to agree to an extension before the season starts. So if you start looking at that and he specifically named the Dodgers and the Yankees as the two teams, he thinks the Yankees could be interesting. If Boone gets fired after another, you know, disappointing year, the Dodgers, if Dave Roberts can't do it with Otani and Yamamoto, do they kind of flip something over there? But obviously the Dodgers have the cheating, you know, whole history with the Astros. Mm -hmm. That'd be tough with core, but it's Alex Cora at the end of the day. And even though certain people in this fan base don't realize it, anybody with a brain around the game realizes he's one of the best out there and he's going to want serious money. If he looks at Craig Council and that guy just broke the damn record for a managerial contract, he's going to go, well, I have something that that guy doesn't have. I have a World Series ring. So mm -hmm. what are you going to give me? Are you going to pay me? And at the end of the day, as we talk about this offseason feeling a lot like the Bloom offseasons, if one of the biggest disconnects for Alex Cora was... Man, me and Bloom just didn't see eye to eye on how he was approaching things. Well, if this offseason plays out in a similar way, is he kind of just sitting here and saying, well, you fired the guy, but we have the same cooks. Like, what's really the difference going on here? Is that going to be enough for him to want to settle in here long term? That'd be my question. But I mean, Lou, you know, our manager. <clears throat> yeah. I feel like this is. Uh, how do I word this? Um, I think it's a bad situation. It is a bad situation 
point blank, it's a bad situation, but I don't think that you can blame him. Like, I don't think that you're no. you're sitting there thinking like, uh, oh, you know, what would what would he possibly be unhappy about? It's like, well, uh, it on more than more than one conversation that I've had with people outside this organization and inside this organization, the sentiment is the same. And it kind of echoes what what Katio wrote about like, well, Haim is gone, but what's different? Like, that's like the thesis statement that is shared from people outside and inside. And, I, you know, when he had the whole thing about like, oh, agents are viewing the Red Sox as a small market team. I was like, bitch, I said that last winter. Like I said that last winter, like after the Bogarts thing happened. Yeah, there were agents that were like, I don't get it. What are they doing? Like, this is embarrassing. This is not how the Red Sox operate. Uh, agents were saying that last winter. Apparently, they're saying it again this winter. Actually, I know that they are. Um, Nick Adam adding in on Montgomery that asking industry officials and they're kind of saying, yeah, we're laughing at that, that you think the Red Sox are going to go that route and pay that guy. Just not in their budget. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's been happening for longer than just this offseason in terms of the Red Sox are. Uh, I get it when when fans are like, oh, the 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 Tampa Bay Red Sox. Oh, yeah, they hired Heim Bloom to be Tampa Bay. Like that's yeah. that's what fans were saying in the beginning. But when you've got agents and executives that are like, they're kind of right. Like it's not just oh, they're hiring the Tampa guy to to follow the Tampa model. It's you have people that are <laughs> used to working with privately people within the Red Sox uh, that like they have a reputation. And then that has pivoted in a way where they have to make comments about how uh, this is just not how they're they're used to the Red Sox running and they are operating like a small market team, which is, you know, I, I get it. It's an odd I, it's an odd uh, point to be hammering home after they just signed Lucas Giolito. But even that in itself, you could you could probably file under a small market team move. Yeah. It's a one year deal. It's a it, See, I, you're yeah. a pillow contract. You're not committing long term to anybody. Yeah, that's that's not a big market move. You know, one in one, that's a real safe move. You know, that's like we don't want to get caught, you know, on a bad deal so we can get out of this type of thing. But when it comes to core, this is why I say a bad situation. I'm council changed everything. Like it changed everything. Like normally not a manager in baseball wants to go into its final year, you know, without a contract. You know, it's worried about the whole guys on the team, you know, being like, ah, you're not gonna be here next year. We don't have to listen to you. That whole dynamic. Now I actually think Cora could kind of handle that, I think, with his locker room. But walkaway power is the greatest thing in the world when you're negotiating. And if you're Alex Cora, I would say you have walkaway power. You have no longer you know, need to stay here. It's like, hey, we're going to give you a little bit of bump. And he's like, no, thanks. And they can be like, what? <laughs> you know, like, I'm good. This is a free agent manager. You know, and I'm going to go and see what the market is. Now, this is why I think Cora right now, this offseason, if I was him, I would be a little bit disappointed in where this thing is going because, you know, a free agent manager that finishes last place three years in a row isn't as good as a manager that maybe get a team to a postseason here, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just, I, I look at Cora going into this free agent and, and I'm a little bit worried that they don't put the staff around him. You know, and it's sort of like just like it was last year, which is kind of where it's headed. I know it's early. A lot can happen. And then it's sort of just like, hey, I'm going to just do my best. You know, it is what it is. Um, I, I don't get the support from the front office. 
you know, I don't think I want to manage the, for like the next 20 years. So my next five, six years, I want to win. And I don't know if we're going to actually go for it here. And if that's how he feels, then he absolutely will walk. He will go somewhere else where maybe they, he feels like there's more support in season, trade deadline. You know, it's three years in a row, trade deadline. I think he's pulled his hair out, or a lot of people have pulled their hair out, wondering where the support is. You know, for four months, we bust our ass. We earned this spot to get another piece because we actually got a shot at getting in a postseason, and you don't give us that. You know, like, what makes me think you're going to give me what we want? And right. I think that's kind of like where you're at again. And if the same thing happens down the same path as has under Heim Bloom, I don't know why he would want to come back here. Whether they would want him back or not, I mean the writing's on the wall. Like yeah. the fact the fact that we are uh, like a month and a half, call it, away from spring training, yeah. um, and and I, I feel like he doesn't have any interest in even like having the conversation. It's like you know that's nice. Like to your point about Craig Council changing everything, like that changed everything for everybody. Like now it's yeah. like there's a there is a public because a lot of times. It's, you know, managers' contracts are not negotiated or put out publicly. Like, we don't know, like, years and dollars for a lot of managers throughout the league. Like, that's not public information for right. everybody. But when Council gets what he gets, now, if I'm Alex Cora, I played a, a, a nice big league career, but I never got that fat contract. Like, he's in a position now to get a contract as a manager that he never even got as a player. Like that right. has intrigue to me too. Like, let me see what's out there. Like this, it's going to be nice to be courted. Like he, you know, all due respect to Alex Cora, the baseball player. I don't know how many times he was courted as like a top dog. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's going to be, he's going to have the managerial uh, equivalent of a, a, a tier A free agent. If his contract expires and he doesn't have a deal, like that's a life experience that you work your whole life for. I would love to have that. And I, I feel like that's that's where he's headed. Yeah, and he's also going to be involved in that, like, you know, in the say, right? Like, he's not going to go anywhere where they're like, hey, we got a young team we want to rebuild and we think we're going to be where, where we want to be in five or six years because we've got a lot of good kids in A-ball. Yeah. You know, like, that's not the team he's going. So if he's sitting in these meetings the last three, four, five years, hearing the same shit, you know what I mean? Like, hey, run our race. You know, let's just sort of – Wait for these guys to develop, and then maybe in 25, 26, maybe if everything goes well and the prospects don't get hurt and perform at a certain level, we'll finally be at a spot where we think we can spend again. You know, like a lot's got to happen. If he gets out of that room and walks into a room that's like, hey, we're ready. I'm going to spend $100 million. We know We're going to pull the Dave Dombrowski. I need a starter. I need a closer. I need a three-hole hitter. And damn it, I'm going to go get all of them. And Cora's going to be like, oh, my God, like tears will come down his eyes, right? <laughs> like tears. And, he, and oh, by the way, you're going to make three or four times as much managing here as you did in Boston. Correct. Right? Correct. Like Holy that money shit. is out there. And, yeah, that's, that's real. And we always hear about how much that relationship with Dave Dombrowski meant to him, that connection, how much he longs yeah. for it. And we all talk about Cora. We all think of him young, right? But the truth is he's not in this game for long. Like, I, I'm guessing whatever this next contract he gets, he'll play it out. And then it's either GM, it's TV, it's retirement, it's whatever he wants to do. And that's where you kind of look at it and you really got to realize the one thing the Red Sox do have in their back pocket has been at least some kind of 
forward offer that, hey, we could see you working in a front office. But now that you have Craig Breslow here, a hire that shows this is a long-term hire. This isn't a guy with experience for a couple of years, and we're going to see how it goes. Is there really even a spot for that avenue, that thing he once dreamt of, of being taken, you know, the guy to take over front office? That's not yeah. really here anymore either. So it really is, are you going to give your manager what he needs to succeed or not? I don't know how he yeah, can and, feel like it's any different right now. And, you know, the other thing for me, too, is like, I, I get it. I felt like, you know, the whole cheating scandal thing when, when they brought him back and they hired him, I felt like Alex for two or three years was just sort of like, you know, hey, you know, I, thank you very much. I owe it to you. Know, you. you appreciate getting me you know, back into the game and, you know, and, and, and shouldn't you put your foot down and want more pitching? Uh, no, nope, they gave me an opportunity to manage again. And I thanked them like that whole like, thank you for bringing me back. We're fucking past that. Like, you know, we're three, four years past that. You owe him you know? now. Yeah. So now it's sort of like, okay, listen, once again, I'm going to say it for a last time. Thank you for bringing me back. I know I screwed up. You've given me an opportunity, which I greatly appreciate, but I need some fucking pitching. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, let's go. Like, it, it's, I think he's past that too, where he actually feels like he owes them something, right? This is year four from that point. So I don't know. It'll, 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 Get interesting. I think he's a great manager. I think he's a great in-game manager. I think the way he works with players, uh, communicates with players, I think other organizations see that. And um, I'm sure there's some, like you said, Tyler, earlier, there's some Red Sox fans that are like, good, get rid of him. He's been a last-place manager. But it's it's you know, when you get this roster and you keep him in the playoff race for four and a half months the last couple of years and just don't get any help, it's extremely predictable how it's going to finish. And, and we're going to get those leaks, I'm guessing, around spring training, whether he just tells them, let's see. And if he tells you to let's see, I think that puts – a ridiculous amount of pressure, not only on the team as you go along here, but the trade deadline. And then maybe them feeling like, hey, if we don't get that ace right now, maybe they go and get a Paxton and they trade for another arm. That's how it all plays out. Well, hey, you better go pull that big move for whatever the name is out there, whatever that top of the rotation guy is. You need to do the complete 180 to Bloom's trade deadline. You need to put your balls on the table and go crazy. And this is where things get weird. You talk about wanting to have a clean slate here, going into a new era, Red Sox baseball, having your manager who is the face of your franchise. He is the face. Rafael Devers is paid. We get that. To have his future looming over this entire year, you thought the Devers year and the Bogarts years were annoying listening to that. Core will be just as bad because that guy sits in front of the media every day. Every single thing he does post game, talking before the game, during the game will be analyzed. It will be torn to shred on sports radio or whatever it may be because it'll be the easiest low hanging fruit to grab at all season long. And then that's the drama that you're bringing along with your ball club that you just want to escape. You just want to build a good team and get away from the storylines. Well, guess what? Now you're going to have one of the biggest potential bombs sitting right on your lap. Not I great. like it. Yeah. What like what do you what do you think the likelihood is that Cora is managing the Boston Red Sox next year? I mean, 2025. I don't think it's good. Like, you know, if you want a percentage, I mean, I don't I just don't think it's um below 20. Like I don't I don't think it's good. Like I I don't know why it would be. You know, it, like you're talking about he'd love the Dave Dombrowski thing, and I don't know if this is one of those like Different chef, different chef, same kitchen situations. Okay, but the last two or three years, if I'm a manager, I, of course I like Dave Dombrowski because he goes out and gets me everything I want. Yeah, you know. And when you look at Heim Bloom, I think as a manager, I would have lost my shit. Yeah, you know, like I, I don't know, man. I got a three man rotation for an entire month. We're a game and a half out of the wild card, a game out, 
and you go get me freaking Luis Arias? <laughs> are you shitting me? Right. And you have no say. You're under. What are you going to do? Quit? Like, you know, but I, you go home at night. You just got to be sitting there going, what are we doing? And then if the new guy comes in and you feel like it's a similar approach and you happen to have your contract up, seeing what potentially money could be out there, why do I want to keep pulling my hair? You know, why would I not want to go and see what's going on elsewhere? Maybe a management ownership group. I don't know whatever that is looking to win right now and it will pay me handsomely for. I'm with so, you. <clears throat> like I, I it, it, pay, you know that it pains me a lot <laughs> to, to agree with that. Um, but I do. I, I think it would drive me fucking nuts. If I were somewhere that I know that I performed well, but I felt like I got let down and in his position, like what more could you possibly ask of the man? Uh, he's been patient. He hasn't pissed and moaned about it. Like I'm sure that there's been internal discussions where he's voiced his displeasure about how uh, things have gone or how he would have done things differently. I, I think but, it's clear that he's pushed messages through the players the last couple of deadlines. I, I do think that's something you can hold core on, but I think in the same hand, it's can you blame him when it's year after year and the no. same thing. But I think there is a truth to the fact that he's made it pretty even publicly clear while he'll say the right things. If you're just paying attention to him and what the players are saying, it's clear where the messaging is coming from. It's clear when you have T-shirts in the dugout, what the messaging is. It's his yeah. dugout. It's his clubhouse at the end of the day. But I think you can't put that blame on him in a significant way when it's year after year. It falls on front office and ownership, however you want to address that blame, because I think ownership plays a big part in this as well as you know, I'm here. You're making promises. You're telling me at the friggin' end of year press conference, we're about championships. We're about full throttle. There's no spending restrictions. How many times did we talk about that in Breslow? Well, where the hell is any of that? Like, how you, many bridge years are we going to have here? If you put teams together the way this team has put them together the last two or three years, we sort of go into spring training. We're going there again, right? We're like, eh, well, you know, if, I mean, if Giolito can turn it around. You know, think about it last year. You're like, holy shit. Like, you're sitting there by the deadline. Did you ever think Paxton would throw the ball the way he did for no. three months going no. into it? Did you like Bayo was becoming like a star and he was until basically his last two outings and his ERA skyrocketed. Like Cutter Crawford was keeping you in and Nick Pavetta turned into some stud out of the bullpen. You know, Justin Turner was like a revelation. And you're like, so you go into spring training and you're like, eh, we'll see. I'll tell you what. And to me, this is how it should be. If you guys go out there and a lot of things go well and you compete and you perform, Jared Duran, you become one of the most electric, you know, young players in center field. And Tristan Casas, you become a force after the month of April. If things start coming together, Jansen and Martin are money, I will support you. You know what I mean? We will at the deadline go out and get you what you need. And I feel like that's almost like an unwritten agreement as a player. Like that's like, we're kind of handicapped, but we still believe we can kind of surprise some people. And if we do going into July, you have to help us. Like, you have to go out and get, so we're not a three-man fucking rotation for the next two months. Like, they leaned on Paxton, who isn't pitched in three years, <laughs> to be the inning eater. Right. And, and then, oh, he wore down. No shit. What did you think was going to happen? So then it's like, and Crawford was just five and died, but perfect. It was great because he was really good. You're relying on a young kid, Bayo, to give you six plus. It's like, how long do you think we can keep this up? Two guys who've never thrown full seasons, ever. Yeah, like that. And I feel like it's, again, like an unwritten agreement going into camp. 
All right. You undermand us a little bit. We overperform. You help us out. Deal. And I felt like that deal has been broken the last two years. Yeah. Yes. Manager. And I'm not a big fan of that. No, no, there's no reason if you're Alex Cora to like much of, of how things have been handled over the last two years. Um, I struggle to find how things would be different moving forward just because of the way that this offseason has been handled. Um, yeah, I, I don't I, I feel like in a way, I feel like Bloom's firing was just to. I, I guess, you know, it was it was a sacrificial lamb. It was just like, hey, the fans are angry. Here's something to make them less angry. But we're not really going to operate in a different manner. Like, I, I, if you were to ask around, how many people would disagree with that sentiment, Lou? How many people would say, oh, you're wrong for thinking that the Red Sox are, aren't are How are they not operating differently now that Bloom's gone? Like, they're pretty much operating the exact same way. Financially, I think absolutely. I think financially, there is a belief. There is a belief that it's a slow build, that when we get this new crop of double A players and perform at a high level, like we started to see in 15 and 16, you know, with Mookie and Jackie and Benatendi and Devers was starting to come. All of a sudden, boom, it was a perfect storm. Dabrowski comes in. We spend like, you know, maniacs. Um, I think it's still build. They believe in the slow build. When it comes to those two guys, um, I don't think he was a sacrificial lamb. Like, I don't think he had a lot of money to spend. I think he royally screwed up in 2022. It isn't talked enough about the fact that he goes over the luxury tax threshold. Like, to me, that's like, you know, that's like, that's not fireball, but it's like, dude, what are you doing? We're in last place. The other five teams that went over in the playoffs. Like, yeah. so I think the deadline, the trades is why Bloom's not here. I don't think he's a sacrificial lamb. I think he screwed up 2022 bad and they had to go under last year. So you knew that payroll had to be at least no more, no better than ninth in baseball because eight teams went over. You know, I think at the deadlines, teams started ghosting them. We know the stories. You guys hear the stories. Like his, his reputation around the league, teams weren't picking up the phone. Okay. They, oh, they thought they had a deal done. And the last minute, he tried to include the greatest prospects in their organization in the deal. Like he changed prospects. The team started getting pissed. And if I heard stories like that, and you did, don't you think ownership did? Yeah. And if the way to get better for this ball club, if we don't believe in spending the 10-year deals, we need to build up our assets and make trades. If you can't trade with anyone in this league because nobody likes dealing with you, you can't work here anymore. That's why I think Heim Bloom is no longer there. So, um, but yeah, financially, it's we're still in that. I don't know what it changes. You know, I I don't know what it changed. I don't know what it changes. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. It's not my job to know, I guess. I, I think that's where the conversation turns, right? Because I think for a lot of it, we it was framed by a lot of people in that financial you know, landscape, right? I won't spend that money. I think the reality is, and as we're seeing here, what ownership wanted with Craig Breslow was not the guy that was going to go out and make these major moves like they tried to leak, you know, right after firing Bloom in typical Red Sox fashion, right? Shit on the guy as he goes out the door. Oh, there was a sale trade on the table. He overthought Yoshida and Trevor Story and it ate away at him and he couldn't make decisions. In reality, it wasn't that they were hoping, oh, well, someone will come here and spend a ton of money. It was more, can you be a little more smart? Can you be more creative and work with those financial restrictions. I think that's what the big conversation point has to be is those financial restrictions. That's what Red Sox ownership is doing at this point. That luxury tax number, 
as we've seen recently, it's either maybe a little bit over or right underneath, depending on where they're at. They just want someone who operates maybe better in their eyes or is more efficient, can work with agents and do that stuff. It's not yeah. about that big move. I think we were all hoping for where you're going to hand out that massive contract or whatever it is. I think that's how a lot of people looked at it. I think it's the other way now. They want someone who can make those smaller moves and be more creative when working at 237 million, not bumping it up to 270 million or higher, like the Yankees, the Dodgers, or the Mets. To me, the trades were the most disappointing thing with Bloom. I, like, I think after really- the Jeffrey Springs thing, he he became gun shy at certain points, and it yeah. really ate away at him. Uh, I think that's why we saw the hesitation at the trade deadline. And you saw when you were willing to put yourself out there. Look at William Abreu and Emmanuel Valdez for Christian Vasquez. What a trade that was! If you were only willing to push farther beyond, all you had to do was flip money. Just flip JD Martinez money anywhere. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Just get JD. underneath it. It, anything anything and you kind of continue to hold and hold and then this past year just not doing anything yeah you're going to get the response you're going to get i think you hope with craig breslow as a player he gets it a little bit more but it's not a sign or pointing to bigger financial kind of changes happening here it's just acting smarter and more creatively in the same kind of you know box that Bloom was in before I, I think he is here to trade yeah, like, I like the Verdugo from, trade. Can you make one. tougher trades with yeah. a team like the Yankees that might burn you? Yeah, from day one, he talked about it right away, talking about trades, saying that you don't necessarily don't think like you have to win every single trade, you know. The, and it was just like, oh, here we go, right? Like identify who the real prospects are and move everybody else and try to improve this team. And to me, that is the difference. You might have had a very similar, smart, Bloom. The very not much has changed. But when it comes to trades, a guy more willing to kind of be more vulnerable, I guess, and lose a trade or move on from a guy and get this and get that. Because you mentioned it. Abreu's a good player. Whether you keep him here, whether you move him for somebody else. What could you have gotten for JD? What could you have gotten for Evaldi? Like, you're a last place baseball team and you went over. You're sixth, which caused you to stay under the next year because you knew some salaries were going to go up, which automatically puts your payroll at night. You know, people can talk about how it was at 12 and that's a disgrace. You had you all agree that you had to stay under, and that payroll is going to be at nine. Historic eight teams went over. So what happened in twenty two? Just screwed you. But it's, it's about the trade market, and I think Breslow. It's one thing I've always said from day one. Being a former player, look at Chris Young down in Texas. Oh, we're sort of struggling. Oh, we got d- bad arms. We're going to trade for Scherzer. He knows what that locker room is like, dude. I just traded for Scherzer. Are you kidding me? My players just showed up at noon. Hmm. They walked in that locker room. They couldn't wait to work out. They couldn't wait to hit. They couldn't wait to throw because I believe in them. Hopefully, that's where Breslow kind of makes the biggest difference between he and Bloom. We'll see. Yeah, it is. It is. It's something that can't be overlooked. Like the former no. player aspect of it oh. is huge for that very reason. Um, but I, I, I'm just going to throw a guess out there that I'm assuming that listeners probably were anticipating a little bit more of a positive podcast after actually signing somebody. So I want to kind of gauge where you guys are at, like where. How much did the Lucas Giolito signing increase your hope for the 2024 season? How much did like where were you prior to that in terms of your hopes and expectations? And how much did it move the needle for you uh, uh, for your actual? I I guess where you see the team uh, for next season. Well, I I, I felt like it was like. um... You didn't really gain. Like we're not gaining ground. We're trying to just kind of get back to where you respectfully have to be. You know, what I mean, like 
they make you have five starters. Most teams actually make you have five. You know what I mean? So it's like pat on the back. We might actually have five this year going into camp. Like it's mm-hmm. like, okay, that's great. You know, um, honestly, I, I felt like they needed, I would have felt better if they gave Giolito a three or four year deal and just said, you know what? We freaking believe in this guy. We believe we could turn it around. We know he had some issues off the field. He's more like the guy that he was before. And we're building with him for the next three or four years. Like the one year in the opt-out sort of feels like something that like a team that's trying to win it right now should do. Hey, mm-hmm. come to us, win a World Series, pitch your ass off and go make your money. And we'll pat you on the back at the ring ceremony. You know, and I don't think this team is here. I think they needed a little bit more like future certainty. Right. But um, it does feel I, weird. Like, yeah. Like why? Why bring in a guy that if he does really well, he's gone? Like, what is the point of that? I don't know. Well, we saw it with Waka. Right. That was that was the issue with him. They've done a lot of that in recent years. And I get it like three years ago. We're sort of like, hey, we just need some bodies here. We're kind of rebuilding this thing. And and obviously they feel like they're kind of still in that same situation. But um, again, and they did it with Paxton. They actually just he decided to come back and pitch for four million dollars. He could have thanked them very much and made eight million bucks to rehab and walked. Mm-hmm. But um, so I don't I don't I don't know. I like it. I want to see where else they go. I feel like. I do want to see Paxton back here. Like I, I do want to see him. You've like, been banging that drum for a little uh, bit. I'll bro. bang it with you, Lou. I, I'm a well, Paxton guy as well. He might be the best pitcher left, to be <laughs> honest. With you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I listen. I'm not opposed to it. I just know that um, it's a take that if you throw that out there right now, I, I mean, I don't know how the reaction has been with like with you saying oh, I mean, it. I, it gives it more credibility, but. Like, if someone else were to say it, they'd be like, all right, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you're basically just, like, you know, putting together the same team that it was last year. I, I would welcome Paxton back because even if, like, uh, you know, if if he comes back and does what he does for those three months, I'll take it. If he falls apart at the end, at, again, it's like, all right, well, at least you got three months out of him. And th- those three months were what put you in a position to to make a, a, a splash at the deadline in the first place. Like, you were you were still in it. Like they weren't dead for a while and it was Paxton and Bayo. Those guys were the guys that were keeping you afloat. So the the reaction is great. Put the same rotation together to finish last. That's it. Like Lou, that's exactly it. And I think that's where you see, and we're having this conversation right now. Our expectations have all come down. And when you say full throttle, like you did, that's why you're going to get the response when you're talking James Paxton. And that's why the Lucas Giolito signing, while I like it, it really will reflect with whatever the following move is. If you go out and you get a top of the rotation arm, which I'm not saying they will, but if they do, then you're like, oh, and it's like a guy who has, you know, some length here, four or five mm-hmm. years, team control, maybe Lozardo. You're like, all right, I really kind of get it now. You got someone you can envision here for a long time. Giolito has upside and a pretty high floor because of those innings. It makes sense. When it's Giolito and that ends up being, you know, a guy who's in that second pool, you're trying to fake it like he's in that first pool, trying to say, Hey, I think we can get him back to 2019, 2021. That's where you're reliving some of the same stuff again. Yes. And that's where the frustrations, it's fair. All I'll say on James Paxson is if he pitched like he did before he broke down, I know people want to clown on me still for saying, you know, at the trade deadline, I would consider giving Paxson the QO. If he's what he was those first three months, he's a $20 million pitcher. He will give you that kind of value there. And there's no doubt about it. People want to act like that take was so crazy at the time. It wasn't. He just broke down. It's, it's just you have to hope you can get. 20 to 25 starts you fuse him and Chris Sale together but then you're getting to the point where all right you have six starters here 
you, you know, how are you going to play that all out? It's more a mix of a guys or a mix of a couple guys than a horse. And then, you know, another solid addition behind them. But, but the whole, like putting the same rotation together to finish last. And it's like James Paxton asked what the reason why you finished last. No. James Paxton was the reason why you were even in it in the first place. And, and the dude was absolutely dominant in my opinion. So he broke down. Well, no shit. He hadn't pitched in three years. You're making him go six, seven innings because you have a three-man rotation. Last year, for three months, they leaned on a ro- two rookies, basically, and a guy who hadn't pitched in three years to be their rotation. Like, that's yeah. it. He was pitcher of the month in the American League for the month of June. Blake Snell was the pitcher of the month in the NL, the guy that won <laughs> the Cy Young. So you've got, like, to me, it's like balancing a rotation. There's five guys. Ideally, you like to have that ace, that horse, that Garrett Cole, okay, that just gives you innings at a high level. They don't have that guy. You know what I mean? So then it's like, okay, we need some innings. Bayo, Giolito, maybe Pavetta's in that mix. I think he can give you innings. But then it, there's got to be like upside, you know, and, and maybe he won't give me 30 starts. But James Paxton for 16 starts was pure dominance. The dude, I had him every night. It was just shit, fastball by guys. You know, everything. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to bring him back. I'm not saying bring back Baraclaw or Garza. You know what I mean? We're bringing back the guy that was actually good. Why would you want to bring the guy that's back good? And that's the issue with Paxton. It's like, and you look at the track record, that was who that guy was, right? Yeah, the injuries popped up at times, but that's who that guy was earlier in his career. How many bullets? Who knows? I, I think what you just keep coming back to is the expectations for everyone have come down a bit here. And I think we're all operating with the sense they're not going to go over the luxury tax. And that's what people are going to keep screaming. Well, if I told you Lucas Giolito and James Paxton were your additions at the start of the offseason, you would have thrown up and said, what the hell are you doing? And yeah, I I think we can all tip our cap and say, yeah, it's not the full throttle anybody wanted, but it's also the reality we're working in. And at this point, you're just trying to field the most competitive and most interesting team in our eyes that you can with the budget you have. That's the way the Red Sox operate now. Yep. Yeah. That's how we have to think. It's not people are like, oh, you're coping. You're coping looking at these other options. No, but you got to fill the friggin' roster somehow. And you work within the, you know, the bars that John Henry gives you. And this is where we're at. There's no big moves. I don't think that there's any big moves coming from here. I I think is I don't think that they're done, but I don't think any big. I don't think any moves that are more sizable than Lucas Giolito are coming down the pipe. Free agent moves or you think trades free agent moves. Like, you don't think Paxton's here. That's obviously not a big move. Paxton falls into that. I think anything, anything that happens from here on out is, is underneath Giolito. Like you're not going, you're, there's no big move that's coming where it's like, Mm -hmm. man, like that, like if this had been first, then we'd be really excited about the whole off season. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that there's any more big moves that are coming for this team. Uh, Maybe like, I, again, I would still be happy with Whit Merrifield. I know Tyler fucking hates him. He He's hates the idea. Fine. He's now my question, and I'll continue to tell you this. You need an impact right-handed bat. If they're going to skip out now that they gave Giolito and it's like, hey, we'll roll with the outfield and we'll go get Whit Merrifield at second, then I have a problem. If you don't add a right-handed bat, the guy you need to look at at second base is someone like Brandon Drury or you're in big trouble because yep. this lineup is not strong enough the way it is right now. You haven't replaced Justin Turner. That's right. such a real problem. And that plate approach meant so much to this team last year. I'm Because t- you've added strikeout guys. You've added a lot of strikeout guys to the lineup this offseason. Tyler O'Neill is going to go out and K with the best of them. That, that's the reality. When of he's it. actually out there. 
when he's actually out there. And that's the stuff that scares me because I thought Turner's approach meant a lot to how this team went about things last year. It was contagious. Yeah, yeah and don't say like, even even Verdugo for the yeah, first Verdugo three too. Yeah. But this team was kind of playing and surprising and fun and scoring runs. It was Verdugo. It was Turner. It was Yoshida. And Casas, kind of like those four guys were sort of like, all right, we're going to Gonna grind these at bats, like that balance in the lineup. There's gonna be swinging. Devers is swinging this guy. There's other swinging this guy. Story's gonna be a big swinging this guy. But when you have Turner sprinkled in and Verdugo, now the second half, Verdugo didn't give you those quality at bats. Neither did Yoshida, to be honest with you. So you sort of lost that. Man, Turner gone. You know, Verdugo, good Verdugo gone. Hopefully Yoshida can pick it back up. You know, Casas will be there. But I'm with you. Like that right-handed bat, like impact right-handed bat. Even Teoscar, he swings and misses, right? Some of the other names you're hearing about, Soler, the swing and miss. It's like, God, where's that balance? Because remember, we didn't want swing and miss, so we can't a year later be like, we don't care about it anymore. Exactly. And like that was such a philosophy thing for them, and you felt it. You felt it when Justin Turner was in the lineup. I guess where I am with them right now, and Spear reported yesterday that they're still in on Teoscar Hernandez. We'll see after the Giolito signing. They're not. Okay, I'm happy you said that. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm happy yeah. you said it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that they're out or they've withdrawn, but I. I don't have any reason to believe that after signing Giolito, that they will do something of like the four year, however, like fifteen to twenty million AAV for a position player. Wait. So, so do you think? Signing Giolito, like if they're sitting in the offseason saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go full throttle." Mm. Maybe that's yeah, yeah, vroom, yeah. Vroom. Giolito's new nickname. I don't know. Lucas Full Throttle Giolito. He's yeah. there. You think that they sort of feel like they were going to shoot higher in pitching, but because they got Giolito, they can now spend more on position players or someone else? Or do you think they actually spent a lot on in their minds on Giolito and now have to mess with like a lower tier players? You know I, what I mean? Like, I think that they have throttled themselves out at this point. Yeah. I, I think so that Giolito, you, you believe, is like their big money. Signing? That's 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 what I believe, Lou. <laughs> that's tough. I, man. That's what I believe. I think that they there will be a pivot to just a lower tier position player. That's I think that that's the route they're gonna go. And and I don't know, like what what tier do you think Whit Merrifield is in? Like obviously he's not the the back to back hits leader anymore, but he's still a solid defender, below league um, average bat. Uh, that's what Whit Merrifield is. You're getting him for defense at this point. Tyler is plus married to the fact that he's a below league average bat, but it's really just the pop. Like, I, I don't know how, you, like, if you look at OPS plus, okay, he's a below league average bat. Yeah. But he's he's going to get you hits. He's going to get on base. Like, he's sure. like, he's still an effective offense. It's not like he's out there punching out all the time. Like, he'll still pop you 150 hits. But no, all right, maybe 129 it, of them are singles. It's, but who two, gives a shit? It, it's two yeah. different conversations, right? Like Whit Merrifield at second base. If you go get, you know, let's call it T. Oscar yeah. Hernandez. Cool. Go, go give me good defense. I'm not worried about the bat at that point. Anything that the bat gives you is a plus. If you're not going to go get T. Oscar Hernandez and you're bringing in Whit Merrifield at second and saying, ah, all right, well, that's our lineup. Who's hitting between Devers and Casas? Who is it? Please tell me. That's what scares me. You're not putting Whit Merrifield in that spot. God damn if you're giving Trevor Story that opportunity after the last couple of years. And I like Trevor Story. I'm a Trevor Story guy. You cannot depend on him to be that right-handed bat to kind of no. figure that line about. Now, where I would sit here and I'd wonder now, 
And Jared, you've been very negative on the idea, not because you don't like Justin Turner, but from what you've heard about that possibility happening. They haven't been called him. Scary. But if you're going to lower <laughs> tier now. That's a problem. Yeah, that's, that's a, problem. a problem. If you're talking lower tier DH options that aren't a four year for T Oscar, it's like, well, Justin Turner is one or two years, right? Can you I'm figure not, that by out? By the way, by the way, I'm not down on bringing Justin Turner no. back. I, I, yeah, I would love to do that. We like I, I think the only reason why you say it's not going to happen is because of uh, Yoshida's defense. It has nothing to do with wanting the player back in Turner. I would love to have Turner back here. But I mean, if they're looking at it as Man, if 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 we're going to make the playoffs, uh, uh, the way a playoff team looks here in Boston as currently constructed, that team doesn't have Yoshida in left yeah. field for a, a vast majority of his plate appearances. So they're they're looking to get him more at DH and to do that, I mean, like Justin Turner is going to be fucking 40, dude. Like but where like where are you putting Justin I think Turner? Most people most people feel that way. You know, they like everybody I remember even the end of the year, it's like he's even talking to him. I was like, just please retire here. And you just had some of those games where afterwards you were like, God, I just want to watch him the rest of his career. Some of yeah. the he had, like some of the clutch hits that he had had. And then you looked at it and you're like, realistically, you know, if, if I don't know, can Yoshida get to the point where you can put him out there every day and left and feel okay and keep a guy like Turner? But you're right. Like Yoshida's a guy that keeps you from keeping Turner. And it's kind of unfortunate. It's just realist, realistic, you know, and. So I think he goes somewhere else, goes to like an Arizona and, and is like a DH and kind of with that young oh, group brings everything that's awesome yeah. about him. It's great. That's well, where you J- got to pick your poison here too, right? Like that's where you look at Reese Hoskins and you say, all right, well, that's another guy who's probably going to take a pillow contract kind of idea so he can reset on the market after surgery. Are those the options you're looking at? Because if you're not looking at those options at this point... Your lineup's in big trouble. We know where the rotation's at. It's like, what are you bent? You're just hoping your bullpen carries you to everything you need moving forward. Good luck. That's just not enough. See, pillow contracts to me are, are okay if if it's like actually bridging you to something. Yeah. Like you're well, a guy like Brandon Drury, right? Like, yes, he is that right-handed bat that you want. He is that defense that you need. And it's a one-year deal. Awesome. You know why? Because we think Marcelo Meyer might actually be ready, whatever. But when it comes to the rotation, you know, and it's like, I just, I, you know, I don't want a pillow contract. Do you know what I mean? I, I would, I just want to know who the hell's, if our rotation is not going to be great this year, can I just feel better about who's going to be in it the following year? You know what I mean? Um, so a guy like Hoskins, yeah, sure. Okay. He can help out, you know, and I don't really, he can be a pillow contract. We don't really need him moving forward. We feel like Costas will be the guy, right? So, but I just, I, I wonder where that right-handed bat's coming from. Yeah. And I, I, it's not in the free agent market. Merrifield to me is free agent wise. It's okay if you swing and miss and don't want to pull trades off. But Drury's Drury's the guy. He's the combination of everything you want. In that way, if you say at that point we're going to just rotate at DH, you can understand it. I think Drury was like a one fourteen OPS plus this past season. So like, and you get plus defense. I think he was plus five outs above average. Yep. So you're getting yep. a little bit of both there. Like th- that's the stuff you kind of bank on and say, all right, if you're not going to go get that traditional DH like a Turner, Hoskins, the names we mentioned, Solier, that's the best pathway to do it. And you can still get Yoshida some of that time. The one thing I will add, the way Breslow spoke, it seemed like back at the GM meetings that he thought Yoshida was better in left field than what the metrics said, how much they believe that. I think their Who actions have been telling uh, Breslow. He was like, I think the metrics are a little misleading, which at Fenway, they can be when it comes out. It's above average. I'm not telling you Yoshida's a good defender. He, he's going to he gets by out there. Do I think he's horrendous? No, but he's a guy you probably went out there for 80 games, not 
150. And if he breaks yeah. down the way he did, which that issue existed when he was in Japan as well, that's something you need to monitor because he's a crucial bat for you. You don't have enough depth in that lineup to survive when he goes down where it looks like September. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, fun yet. we're going to take a quick break from our Giolito reaction episode with Lou Merloni to bring you a word from our sponsor. It's time for the parade in Pasadena. Tradition meets college football action in one epic bowl game. And with DraftKings Sportsbook, you can make every play count. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on college football. The Rose Bowl's on New Year's Day. Currently, DraftKings has the odds at Alabama plus one and a half, Michigan minus one and a half. No idea who's going to win. I'm going to be rooting for Bama because my friend went to Michigan. I want to see him lose and cry, but really anybody's game. So if you want action on the Rose Bowl, download the app now and use code Jared. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just five bucks on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code Jared. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You think, do you think the Red Sox will be better next year than they uh, were last year, Lou? When it's all said I and done, that, not based on what's what's happened yet. Well, based on what's happened yet, I would say no. Um, but I think when it's all said and done, I think that there'll be more pitching. You know, I, I so I, I think that there are some guys that I, you know, I know we make fun of Cora or like the Red Sox organization when they start talking about guys like Sale, Whitlock, and Howe. There's people like, I've already caught that act. You know what I mean? Like, and Pavetta, I've already caught that act. But those the first three guys I mentioned all did have surgeries last year going into the offseason. And I think former players will tell you that, that you're know, going into an offseason rehabbing and going into spring and being healthy enough to go to spring training isn't exactly what you're looking for strength wise. You know, it's not exactly you want a healthy offseason. We can go and actually improve and work on things and get stronger and build your base, not build the base that barely is strong enough to get you ready for spring training. So I think those guys can be better. I think, I think they'll be a better pitching team because they do have a lot. They'll end up having with a lot more depth than they had last year. Lou, there was one thing you tweeted out the other day that I thought was something that nobody's really talked about. I think we often have the conversation. Tanner Houck, He's a closer, right? He has that kind yeah. of mentality. I'm someone who've pushed that a lot. Uh, some people would say, hey, look at Garrett Whitlock. You know, multi-innings in 2021 was really their closer at the very end of that year. You tweeted out Cutter Crawford. And I think Cutter Crawford out of the three is the best one with starting rotation potential. You were like, no, I love him in that closer role. I think we can jump from this to some of the Kenley Jansen rumors we've been getting. But why do you think Cutter should be the guy they kind of turn to if they're looking for a future closer, if they ship Kenley off? I think there's a reason why he went five innings pretty much every single outing. And I do think there's a health concern. There's been a history there. I think they look at the body type 
And I know you just can't look at body types, right? Because you know, we'll go back to what about Pedro, you know, and Yamamoto and everything else. But uh, he's not a big guy. Um, I love him. You know, when he's out in the mound, I think his mentality um, is perfect for that role. And th- to me, his fastball plays. You know, when he's out there throwing 94 miles an hour, and I think at one point maybe he kind of didn't have that same feel. Maybe he got tired. Maybe he threw a lot of innings. But there is elite movement on his fastball. He he was elite swing and miss on his fastball. You know, the vertical movement, it's got late life. And it's like 94, 95. It ain't 99, right? So it tells you what the shape looks like and why guys can't touch it. You put his ass in the bullpen, and that dominant 94, 95, is that 96, 97? Is that even more dominant than it has been before? He's got the mentality that he doesn't give a shit. You put me in a – I don't give a rat's ass who you throw me up against. You, I'm a rookie. Want me to go to Yankee Stadium and shove? Done. Want me to go to Toronto and shove? Done. Where else? I want to go shove. Where do you want me to go shove? Like, that's just the mentality of this guy. And that's why I think, is there a long-term future as him as a starter for a guy that they didn't really trust to go more than five because of the body type and history? If that's the case, let's bump that velo up to 96, 97 and just freaking deal with the fastball and the secondary stuff, I think, is swing and miss. Isn't that where the question comes in, though? Because you look at their inability to develop a starter. You have a guy, while he was struggling to go through the lineup, you know, a third time, we saw five innings, way more success than we saw out of Tanner Houck, and way more success than we saw out of Garrett Whitlock. Is it worth it taking a guy who has a chance? It's not the highest ceiling. I think he's probably a number four if it all comes together. He's a number five right now. Is it worth taking that guy out of that spot when the other two aren't starters more likely? Or do you think Hulk or Whitlock could be those actual starting pitchers they dreamt on a year ago? Do you think that's still in that in them? Like as a possibility? I, I think we're all moved past the Whitlock thing, right? I agree. And I'm in the same camp as you, but the way, and I'll give him credit. He talked to Cotillo. He goes, I don't care what role they put me in. Just throw me out there and I'll do it. He claims that he's figured out his workout. He stopped copying Paxton and he stopped copying sale. He found his own thing, but I think the injuries more than anything decided it. It's not the potential or the ability because he flashed plenty last year when he was starting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that doesn't surprise me because Whitlock is pretty much like a big ball of like awesomeness. You know what I mean? Like he's just a good dude. And that's why I just want him to like be successful. And whether it's injuries or whatever it may be, it's like, just give him a role. You know, let's get back to another guy that had a tough off season and a tough season with some of the personal things that had happened in his life. Let's get you back to being that one, two inning dominant guy. It's there. It's in there. Let's keep you in that role. Body type wise, like Tanner Houck is a lot. I think I look at him and say, he's a starter. And I see his stuff for three or four innings. And I say, yeah, the dude's a starter. And then I just, I don't get it. Like, I really don't. Like, the stuff doesn't change. You know, I think the attacks guys maybe a little bit differently. I would be curious with. New eyes, you know, Bailey and Breslow. Is there something in usage? Is is there a different mindset? Because if you could ever break through Tanner Houck, you know, that fourth, fifth, sixth inning, whatever thing, you could have a dominant starter, in my opinion. Now, there comes a point where you just have to, the, to, the player tells you who he is. I've always felt that. And he's kind of telling us that maybe he is just a reliever. And I get that. But now that we get new eyes, I'm curious again. Does that make sense? Like now that Bailey is there or Breslow is there, like, I don't know. What conversations going on in the winter? What happens in spring training? Did they unlock something? Because I still think there's a lot there with Tanner. Strong kid. I felt like the way they handled Tanner, though, was pretty similar to Cutter Crawford in terms of once they did get to that fifth inning. It was like 
first sign of trouble, first sign he's starting to miss the zone. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that plays in this conversation with Tanner is we've seen him close. And it is Mm -hmm. tough because you look at three innings, man, he can go through a lineup like anyone. But what, last summer or two summers ago now, June 2022, eight for nine on saves. When they played their best baseball of the season, he was closing for them. So that's a guy who's shown he has the mentality for it. He can do it. That's rare. And I think that's where we go to the Kenley Jansen rumors. People are saying, well, could he get flipped? Could Chris Martin get flipped? You're trying maybe to eat some salary, get some pieces maybe for a trade for a controllable pitcher. Are you in on that? Are you a fan of going that route? Or do you think that's just a sign of, you know, to the clubhouse, we're taking a step back. We're not looking to be one of those World Series contenders. Yeah. And I, I think first off, like the Tanner Howe thing you're talking about, he did have success. And I remember when it happened, I didn't like it. Mm. Right. Um, but he had success doing it. So I was like, huh, okay. And the reason why I didn't like it was because in the ninth inning, I'm not letting him face a righty if I'm an opposing manager. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm going to try not to. So I'm an opposing manager. I got some lefties waiting for out because I'm taking away his best weapon. He is no longer Tanner Houck if I make him face three lefties or three out of four lefties. Now he's got to be fine with the slider. You know, now he's got to throw that little two-seamer in or try to new this new cutter. You know what I mean? Like. If I hit three righties, I think he'll walk through them, right? Sinker, slider, good night. But I can manipulate my lineup so your closer never gets to use his strength. Now, it worked. <laughs> so I was kind of like, okay, I don't know. But I still feel like over the long season, him facing two-thirds lefties all year long will not be good for him compared to facing you know a lineup. And I know a lot, I know teams – We'll roll lefties out there against him anyways, right? But if he's just out of your pen as a situational guy, he's a guy that, you know, goes seventh inning, eighth inning, depending on where they are in the lineup, righty, lefty, right? It's a big weapon. As for Kenley Jansen, um, I believe him when he said last year that he thinks he can pitch for another three or four or five years and get another 100 saves. Like, I 100% believe him. Uh, I think losing him and Justin Turner, I think, would be tough to replace in a locker room, you know? Um I think both those guys are well-liked, well-respected, and they bring a lot to a baseball team. But I do think as a GM, if I'm looking at it realistically, and I'm saying with his age and he had some hammies and he had some backs, as much as I love this dude and would love for him to be here, if I could kind of get something for the future, then I would look into it 100% because you do have some options out there. And, and you know, we're not talking about like a one-in-one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to trade Kelly Jansen for a guy that's got a one-year deal. This isn't your all-in year. You shouldn't have a bunch of one-year pitchers. You should be building for something, right? So if he needs to be included in that to get a young, controllable starter, fine. But here's the question. Name one team that needs a closer to win baseball games that's willing to give you a young, controllable starter. Isn't that right. contradictory? <laughs> right. that, that's the hardest part. And you're talking like 16. I think what you would hope for is something like the Verdugo deal. Or, hey, we're, we're going to send this piece to you. We're going to eat some of that money. Give us just a couple of these minor league arms or players you like, not high end. You know, it's going to be kind of like the 10th prospect in your system. But do you use that as your ammunition? You can justify it as the reason why you're making that deal for Lazardo or something like that. I think that's where you look. But then you probably have to go make another move. Then it's Robert Stevenson or something like that. Right. And you're kind of reshuffling it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Jared, are you in the same boat with Jansen? Yeah, but I think you can look at it from like a three team deal perspective where it's like, all right, there may not be a team that's willing to part with young controllable. Like if you need a if you need a closer for one year, uh, you're not just like, all right, yeah, here's our here's our young pitcher. You could probably bring in like a third team there. But the whole Chris Martin thing coming up, 
Like I get it. Like if if you truly if 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 you've got Andrew Bailey coming in there and Craig Breslow and they're talking and looking at Tanner Houck tape and they're like, listen, this dude, this dude could be a closer in the big leagues. So what can we get for a Kenley Jansen out there that can help us for for 2024? I totally get that. But then when Chris Martin's name comes up, I'm like, why are you doing that? Like now, like like Kenley, you can justify a, a Kenley Jansen trade because of his age, because of X, Y, and Z, because you have someone that you feel like can suitably take his place. No one's taking Chris Martin's place. If you trade that dude, you're just telling us we're not, we're not trying. I know it sounds crazy because he's not the closer and he is a veteran arm. Uh, and he, I believe it is only like a one year deal, right? It's only one year yep. left for, for Martin. You one trade, you trade Chris Martin. You're telling us, yeah, we're not really trying to win next year. I mean, it's not like anyone feels that way now, but you're really telling us if, if that's the case. Their justification would probably be, though, well, the guy got a friggin' Cy Young vote this year. What are the chances he can replicate that? Now, I tell you, look at what he did with the Dodgers before he signed with you. After he got traded, the numbers were just as ridiculous then as they were last season. You know, obviously, even a little crazier this past season. But they would try to sell you on the idea that this is as high as his value ever be. Maybe it's $8 million, so he costs less. Someone thinks he can close for them. I don't know. That wouldn't be the move I make. But I think Kenley... Lou, I'm surprised to hear you say you think he can go five more years. The biggest thing that scared me this past season was the nagging injuries. It was like yeah. the, the knee was barking, the, the back fatigue. was barking. Yeah. Like it felt like it was just at times it would catch up to him and he'd kind of have a hard time getting right and they'd stay away from him for a week and try to figure it out. Is yeah. it going to be the body that gives on him maybe before the stuff does? Uh, and I still think as crazy as seeing him hit 99 like he did in Atlanta and then you saw it all come out of him. Like if he's yeah. down, he's back down to 93, 94. Is that something that might happen in a year like this where, you know, his body hits a little bit of a wall and he can't keep it going? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think he does have three in him. He might think five, you know, but I just when you see him work, you know, and and how the stuff came back. It, and I get it. Like, you know, if this is like a 30, 31 year old dude, like you're probably like, no, we're thinking of extending him. Well, but it was with Martin and Jansen, they're sort of thinking like, okay, are we just going to sell them at the high point, right? And try to get something back. And that would be fine if they just came out and told us that they're not going to be good. That's it. Exactly. For a couple of years. You, you know what I mean? Like the last couple of deadlines, if you think about it, you really should have traded Paxton. It was the most predictable thing in the world. He's going to break down. He could have, how long can you ride this guy? You know, JD, Evaldi the year before, you got rid of Vasquez last two years ago. So it's like, all of these things, if it was like, listen, we, you know, we got these three dudes down in double A that we think are kind of anchors up the middle of the field, right? Outfield shortstop catcher. We got some young dudes up here that we think are really, really good. We're still a year away. I'm sorry. I know the rebuild's longer than you'd like. We're going to trade Jansen. We're going to trade Martin. We're going to take advantage of that shit. We're going to move on from Sale. We're going to move on from Pavetta because nobody here, all these guys' deals are up at the end of the year. And we're going to just load up. We're going to about two or three arms you're going to absolutely love in three years. But. I don't know if they can do that. <laughs> That's what makes even looking back to last offseason, the Martin and Maybe Jansen, the Martin Jansen signs look weird because you're like, it felt like you were all building towards. Yeah. Last year, you were you gonna, needed them the year before it, it, in your bullpen. That's exactly it. And then it felt like, oh, well, you're building up so that that second year of these deals, maybe you're pushing for it. You're in the thick of it. Well, here we are in the same situation we were a year ago where, oh, it looks like another bridge year. So like you're paying all this for relievers. That's what teams pushing for a championship do. And you held on to them. 
Well, it doesn't make a ton of sense if you're not actually trying to win a World Series this year. It's very confusing. Yeah, it's a weird spot. More even, it's more. It's more consi- like I'm more. I'm more fascinated by like the player side of it. Like, what did they tell you? What did they tell you that made you choose Boston? Uh, assuming that like if 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 they were or were not the highest bidder, if they were kind of just in the same ballpark as the other offers, like what did the Red Sox tell Kenley Jansen when they offered him a free agent deal? Like, were there false promises in there? I'd love to know. Like what? He did, got paid. Like, what did they tell? What did they tell Lucas well, Giolito? You heard him. What did they say? I'm just. Well, you, you heard to me. I think like at the end of the year, like you heard him at the end of the year. You heard him this offseason. It's like oh. we're the Boston Red. We need to have stars. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't get enough help at the deadline. Like it sounded like a guy that felt like they could surprise. He looked around, kind of believed in some of these dudes. Believed in Paxton and Sale. Been in the league a long time. Thought these whatever Pavetta, Bayo saw the young kid. Looked at the lineup and said, JT, I play with JT. We're going to win. And just sort of was like, okay, deadline comes. I'm used to being on teams that are the big buyers that help us go to the postseason and improve our team. And it didn't happen. And he was the one guy that was vocal. Like, what the hell's going on? Like, he was the one guy that spoke up. So to me, I would even look at Kenley and Chris Martin, who's like got one year left in their deal. I wouldn't be surprised at all if I, if, if I was them talking to their agents saying, hey, if we're going to do the same bullshit again, then they should trade me. Trade me to a team that, you know, one of these eight, nine teams that actually could play in the postseason. You know, because if we're going backwards, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I was surprised last year we didn't go for it more at the trade deadline. So as far as Giolito goes, I think that's simple, right? Like, this is our pitching plan. You know, they're well known throughout the league for their, like, kind of rehabbing arms. You know, Paxton, everybody else. That's pretty well known. And, you know, I'm sure Bailey was there. I'm sure Breslow was there. Hey, we can get you right. And again, it's like a it's like a player, it's like an NCAA portal. We can get you right, and then you can transfer to a division one team. You can go you get the bag mean? where you want and go pick your long term home. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's I just wish we had some more answers in the future. You know? And that's where I just keep going back to Yamamoto. <laughs> 10 years, 30 million a year, 25 years old, like Don, Don, and Don. You have two long-term deals with a 25-year-old pitcher and a 26-year-old hitter. That's, 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 there you go. Now start filling in the bullshit, it's, right? And it's like, if it's not him, and this is why, Tyler, we talked about, if it's not him, I, I don't see them in on Snell and Montgomery. No, no Because way. it's like, if you, or really, I don't know who, like as far as that 29, 30-year-old free agency. If you're not going to do that for a 25-year-old kid who could be the best pitcher in the world, why are you going to do that for a 30-year-old dude, 31-year-old dude who's not as good? And so where does it go? That's my biggest question right. with Yamamoto. It's been a week, right? Like it's been a week since he became a Dodger. Is it weird that we have not heard the Red Sox offer? What were the numbers? Were you there? Did you match like the Mets did? And at the end of the day, we know he wanted to be a Dodger. We see it with the West Coast preference. I think as we see the process played out, it was clear he wanted to be there. Yeah. Well, I could excuse the Red Sox. I'm not saying, you know, oh, it's okay. Who cares? You know, as long as they matched it. But if you met the money and he said, hey, I'm sorry, like, I don't want to do it. I think you should have tried to go over. You should have had the biggest deal on the table because you have more financial freedom and less spending than any of these other teams who were in on him in recent years have. You are the team who has spent the less and your pockets are just as deep as long as you're willing to open them. Is it weird that we have not heard what that offer was? Is it like, because I think people are starting to sit here and assume, think, well, was I it not they, even in the right ballpark? Did you even make it that far? I think if they were proud of it, they, you would know what it is. You would leak it just to say, hey, 
here's a yeah. bone. We threw the money yeah. at him. He didn't pick us. Just shut up. We're trying. You didn't but even problem, leave that. That that is just if, if you know. Like I said, if they were proud of the offer, they would have leaked it. By the way, we offered just as much. You would have heard it, mm-hmm. right? I think so. Um, maybe they're just maybe we're below it, whatever it is. But even if they were right at it, though, that's something to sort of pause the emotion to comment and then be like, okay, they're willing to spend. Now let's see what happens the rest of the year. So even if they were willing to match the Yamamoto, and you came out with just Giolito and Whit Merrifield, all of a sudden now you don't give a shit whether they match Yamamoto or not, because you never follow that up with anything. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't really care Like <laughs> if they were close in Yamamoto. And like I said, if they were proud of the offer, they would have told you by now. Like somebody would have told you by now. So the Yankees put out, they were at 300 and they roar that Everybody. shit like it was the pride of the day. Like, hey, look at us. Yeah. We put 300. We weren't even at 325. You yeah. didn't even say the number you hey, were at. Otani, we were at 700. You know what I mean? Like it's something. If, if you were at 300, 325 in that range, you better believe that by the next day, we would have heard the Red Sox were right there. You would have heard it. What do you think their offer was, Lou? Probably 250 to 275. <laughs> poverty. That's so poverty. Not, That's with the posting fee, too. I know this goes. Like, I'm not, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah. I guess we talked about this many times. Like Going out to California and meeting him, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they sort of felt like it was going to be in that 250 range, and they found out three was going to be in front of it. And maybe they found out that, you know, that he's going to L.A. Hang with him. You know what I mean? If you want to be used to get the price up for the Dodgers, fine. But he's going to L.A. So I do know a lot of stuff changed after that. Isn't that so telling, though? The Dodgers, the Mets, and the Yankees. Those three teams, they're the biggest spenders in the sport. You're supposed to be right there with them. You're declaring to the entire baseball world, we are not part of that anymore. We are not say, part of that group. Are they though? Are they have they ever been in that same category with the Yankees and Dodgers? When you were spending back in 2018 and yeah. you were shattering and you were biggest spenders in baseball over the luxury tax two years in a row, you were there. Well, the, did the Dodgers and Yankees were they in on David Price? You outbid the Cardinals. Yeah, for 20 million at that time. But I think we're talking well, I'm, I'm just speaking saying, more the, right now, like where the well, things are going, where the Dodgers and the Yankees, they don't give yeah. a fuck about the luxury tax anymore. No, it doesn't no. exist to them. My, my point is I don't think they ever lived there, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. And I know they spent, they spent but they never would outbid the Yankees. If the Dodgers and Yankees wanted David Price, they were going to get him. You weren't going to outbid him. Like, you know what I mean? Like the big signings, the other ones were trades. You know, like, I don't know if they've ever really outbid those guys ever. I don't think it's ever really changed. But they signed guys that maybe these teams are like, yeah, we're not interested. We don't need, we don't this, we don't that. We're just not in on them. And their payroll skyrocketed to one or two in baseball. I get it. But they've never been in those categories. They haven't. Now, they should be right freaking close. You know what I mean? They 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 should be spending over the luxury tax. We know that. And for them, it it feels like they're waiting for the perfect situation to do that. Right? Like we okay, we're close. Now let's go. Because it certainly doesn't feel like it's gonna be this year. So your hope is, and you know, you look at next offseason, we dove into it, me and Jared, a little bit, where it's all the new like there's so many names. Is it just hoping eventually you're someone's consolation prize? Like, oh, you know, the Dodgers spent that money and the Yankees spent that money. Oh, well, he likes you. Eventually, you found a girl that likes you. That, that That's what scares me here, because if you're always sitting around and waiting for that to fall in your lap, it's never going to happen. You're never going to make the deal like you did for Pedro or for Beckett and say, fuck it. We're going to make this move and we're going to go in. And those are trades. And I think that's why I know some people say, oh, I don't want to talk about Corbin Burns. I think you need to at least have the conversation on the table, even with one year of control, because guess what? If you're serious and you're willing to pay that money and you're saying, well, we need an ace and I need to throw 250 million, 275 million down to do it. 
If you're serious yeah. about it, then there's justification to making that deal because you know he's going to be yours and you're getting him for this upcoming year. I think I think the the days of signing the top tier free agent starting pitcher are over. And um, I'm not saying that's the right or wrong thing to do. You know, I know David Price was one, but the reason why I say that is because I just don't feel like contracts are getting a little bit out of control at this point. You know, the David Price one, even though, what was that, seven years? Yeah, seven, what, two, seven 18 years. or whatever it was? Yeah, and you're like seven years. Like, I think they like living in that four, five, like five, six, seven year range, whatever, but 10, 10, 11, 12, I don't think, I don't think it happens, which is why I think when, when I think more about like why Breslow is here over Hein Bloom is because of the trades. You know, we need to trade for young, controllable starters, then try to extend them. And if we lose a great young player like a Marcelo Meyer or any of these other guys, Anthony Atillo, whatever, in the process of having to do that, we can go sign a free agent shortstop. We can go sign a free agent second baseman. Like we can win with that, filling some holes. I just think pitching, the top tier pitching, is uh, scary for a lot of teams. Quite frankly, a lot of the deals don't work out. Um, but I just feel like that's kind of over. And I think this is this is the future here for this organization is through trades and acquiring young, controllable, good starting pitching through trades, like you did with Sale, like you did with uh, Pedro, like you did with Beckett. You know, I mean, those three guys right there. It's it's also uh, like I, I totally hear what you're saying, and and I agree that I just don't see the red side. If you didn't go all the way for Yamamoto, who are you going to go all the way for? I was like, telling. Like, there's yeah. never been like you know, there's there's no uh, compensation tied to him. He's 25, like three time Sal Mora Award winner. Like you go down the list and you're just like, all right, so what's the downside? There isn't any. I guess if there was one, you would look at his body type, right? Like that would be it. Uh, but outside of that, if you're not one of the top three, top four finalists for Yamamoto, then you're you're just never going to be one of those guys ever again. Like you're not going to be one of those teams ever again. But the one thing that stands out to me is in beyond just like the international guys, the Red Sox haven't developed a frontline starting pitcher in fucking 20 years. Pay the cost. Like, t- like, like Brian Bayo could end up being that guy. I- I'll leave the door open for that. He could, he could be that guy. Fine. But John Lester made his big league debut in 2006. We are entering 2024 in just a couple of days. And that was the last one. Yeah. Like, uh, you you want to sell me on Buckholz? All right, fine. He made his fucking debut the following year, 2007. <laughs> okay. So, I, I mean, that's, that's really all it is. It has been a long, long time since the Red Sox have been like, here he is. He's, he's the next guy. He's our, he's our, the, the ace of the future. Like, sure, there's there's plenty of other top tier pitchers throughout the league. They never belong to the Boston Red Sox to start ever. I mean, I'm hoping that Andrew Bailey and Craig Breslow change that in some form or fashion. Uh, I I mean, it, and if they do, we won't know that they do in for four years, years, five years. Yeah. And, and that's the direction they likely looked at it when they made the Breslow hire was 
Yeah. We're not going to pay. So guess what? Yeah, we're probably going to, it's going to be a bridge year. It might be a couple bridge years. Who knows while we wait for Roman Anthony and Marcel Meyer and Kyle Teal to become these guys at the big league level. Well, hopefully by the time that happens, we've actually developed some starting pitching. And, and at that point, you hope it starts to impact. It's just, that's a hard pill to swallow when you charge the highest ticket prices in baseball, when you've been where you've been over the last, you know, four years with the last place finishes. Just a very hard thing to sell to this fan base. It is. And, and that's what we were talking about before, like the sell job, right? Of It's really hard to go from full throttle to give us another year or two. Crazy. It, and, and in reality, <laughs> when I take a step back and I look at it, as much as I want these guys to go out and spend, and I think they still should because they're the Red Sox, they can still spend and they can still compete at a high level. You do look at it and say this organization, health of the organization with these kids at Double A is probably two or three years away from seeing the, you know, from being a team with six homegrown, seven homegrown Look like guys into line. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like a Baltimore. Like I saw that thing about the Dodgers and how they got here. And it was like, this year is a little bit insane, right? Obviously, Otani, Yamamoto, I get it. But it was, this is their like 40-man whatever roster. And it was like signed, traded for. Mookie and Freeman, everybody else. Drafted and developed. Well, Every, that, that's why the Mookie thing everyone and at that time when you had those conversations they waited so long to hand out a contract like that and people were pissed at them for years because they were waiting for the perfect moment for Mookie and then when it happened boom they said screw it we're going to put the deal on the table yeah. at that time it pointed to something different it's just if I'm sitting here I'm looking at John Henry I'm saying you guys don't realize the financial landscape has changed and it's exposing you more than you think it does the while the Dodgers were building that shit you know in the ground up it was like they were spending and maybe not spending properly, you know, on some players that like, well, this wasn't the great, the greatest free agent contract. But what it did was it bought us two years to get this guy coming up through the system and making sure he's ready. And we were still competitive. We were winning 90 something games. We were still in the postseason knowing that we were really two or three years away. So it's like, I really feel like this team, the Red Sox, is like two or three years away. Doesn't mean you can't spend in the next two or three years away, the next two or three years to kind of wait for this thing to kind of really come together which is kind of what you should do, and you can still compete and get in the postseason. Because that's what teams like Baltimore have to do. That's what yeah. teams like Houston had to do back before this whole build. You had to wait through those years to build up that farm. You're supposed to be able to accelerate that process. That's the whole point of being a big market team. To me, Baltimore's already blown a couple of years. Oh, yeah. They, they should they should have dealt for an ace two years ago. What the hell? I, seriously, like I, I'm worried about them. I understand they're really good. And, uh, you know... But if you're not going to supplement this great young people, you know, team with, you know, an ace or you know, another three hole hitter in the middle of that lineup to just a veteran, like what are you doing? You don't even like, have, you have room great- for some of these guys to play. Yeah, like I, right. I, and the other thing about Baltimore too is that if they're so afraid of spending, everyone's looking at this young core that they have, and it's like, all right, well, when they reach free agency, there's no way that they're going to keep them after that. I, they might even end up trading some of these guys. Some yeah, of these guys through arbitration are going to be making 30 fucking million dollars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like in three years, you're going to trade Gunnar Henderson, you know, because you, yeah. and you can get the most package. You'll turn them into like Tampa, you know, with all these great young players. We're just going to trade everybody a year too soon, whatever year early, whatever it may be. Um, I don't get it. You get the number one farm system. You had won a hundred games. Be the number five farm system and win a world series. You know what I mean? Like, Trade a guy, yeah. get an absolute pig. Dylan sees begging. Rotation. I don't get it. But yeah. thank you for not That's doing it. That's a good it. point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is what's going to happen. And some of these guys in Baltimore are going to be gone before free agency because the money that they'll make in arbitration will be uh, too rich mm-hmm. for 
the uh, the Baltimore Orioles blood over. Unless there. they sell, and then they get crazy, and then you get really wary. Then you have serious problems. <laughs> that could happen as well. Yeah. That could happen as well. Uh, Tyler, what were some of the other things that we missed over the last? I'm week? just going down the list. We hit Kenley. Uh, we've kind of talked about them. You know, not really pursuing a rental. The Robert Stevenson stuff is really the. You know, they've poked around on him and Ahmed Rosario. Stevenson points to Gives that Kenley fuck. trade, right? Guy who dominated with the Rays last year after he landed there. 235 ERA, 245 FIP. Um, that could be someone maybe you say, hey, you can pitch in the eighth inning. You bump Martin up to the ninth, whatever. Ahmed Rosario, I don't know. He's, mm-hmm. he's another Whit Merrifield to me. I think, honestly, I like him a little bit more than Whit Merrifield in some ways because he was awful at shortstop. I think he was like negative 15 outs above average with Cleveland. Ends up going to the Dodgers. They figure him out. He's fine at second base. He breaks even at zero. Had an OPS plus of over 100 the last two years before this one. A little more upside and he steals bags. But it's all nothing that's going to get you going in a big way. I don't know. Do you feel strongly about Ahmed Rosario, Lou? No. <laughs> and, and every time we talk about second, that's why like, Drury to me is like that perfect little box that like, gives you kind of everything. But I just really want defense. Like I, I really do. I'm at the point where I'm like, I just, I just want to see a second baseman make a routine play, turn a double play, and actually be impressed by it. You know what I mean? Be like, wow, it's a really nice play. I just, I'm done with the whole, if you play piss boy defense, I don't want to see you next year. Like, unless you are cornerstones of this lineup, <laughs> you know, who are playing great D and need to continue to work at it. But Rosario, yeah, I like I like the idea of guys that shortstop moving over. It depends, right? You got to look into those numbers, like defensive run save. Is it because of range? You know, at shortstop, it's everything is just like foot, they're losing a little bit of footwork, right? Because they're getting a little bit older. They can't get to the ball in a hole because their arm maybe isn't what it once was. You know, those are the types of guys that move to second base and it's like, okay, the arm plays better. You know, the feet can slow down a little bit. You know, and it's not just catch and release, it's catch, a little shuffle and throw. So, I mean, a guy can be a poor shortstop and be a very good defensive second baseman, Kike Hernandez, right? Because I still think he could have mm-hmm. played second. So it can't happen. So I, I don't mind that look either. But they need to get defense at second. It's just you just need it. It's pathetic. You can't have what you had last year. The no, yeah. you can't. The only other thing we have is Yariel Rodriguez, which I feel like has been like kind of a, a little bit of a you know storyline that people haven't been talking about a ton. But the Red Sox have been interested. It seems like the Blue Jays are leading the charge, but they view him as a reliever, I believe. Uh, oh no, they do like him as a starter, but more as an mm-hmm. opener. Uh, Yankees, Padres, and Reds are in, but they like him as a reliever. I think it points to what kind of scares us more of these lower tier starter options, but a guy who relieved in Japan converted to a starter in WBC, they might look at him and say, this is another guy you hook up with Andrew Bailey and see where it goes. Yeah. And that's kind of like an unknown. It's funny too. Cause like even, even Imanaga, I kind of put in that category as well. Like an unknown, you know, I, someone tell, I, I don't know. I just, I look at Imanaga and this other guy and it's like, we like them better because we don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As opposed to maybe other guys, like I go back to like Paxton. I, I think Paxton's better than both of them. I've seen Paxton dominate this league for 16 starts. Imanaga, 91, 92. Are we trying to get the guy that gave up the most home runs in America and Japan on the same team? During the because dead ball. Because that's yeah. going <laughs> to... Yeah, like he, he, he gave up more home runs in Japan, I think the last two years than any pitcher in baseball in Japan. And we just signed Giolito who, by the way, gave up more home runs in America than any pitcher in America. So, like, you know, <laughs> the two worlds coming together. You know, hopefully you can figure some of that stuff out. But Imanaga, to me, is a question mark as well. This isn't Yamamoto. You know what I mean? I don't want to get the Japanese pitcher that isn't good. 
because I know one of them is going to be good in the big leagues, you know? So it's, and this kid here, I really don't know much about, you know, it does worry me that a lot of teams look at him as a reliever and we view him as a starter because out of necessity, it sort of feels like an opener. You know what I mean? Like, and you look at what he did in the WBC, it was electric, you know, topped out at 98. Don't get me wrong. You know, seven and a third innings across two starts. He had six walks. So it's like your typical story of a guy. Yeah, the stuff's good, but he hasn't worked five, six innings regularly. And the command starts to go the other way. The stuff starts to tick down. And when you've lived the Garrett Whitlock, the Tanner Houck, even the Cutter Crawford experience, where is he a starter? Is he a reliever? You just want to know the guy can frigging go out there every yeah. fifth day and be on the mound. Is and who was his WBC games against? Yeah, they were. No, I don't believe they were like, very no good effect. teams either. I mean, no. no. I hope Uke doesn't take this the wrong way, but Team Israel didn't really swing it in that tournament. You know, so I don't know if they played him or not. You know what I'm saying? So, it's true. You know, it, did he play the Dominican and Let me see. I'm America. Looking, I know he played the Netherlands because he struck out Bogarts, and I've used that clip a few different times on uh, on okay. my socials. All right. But, like, right. that's the stuff. It's more question marks than anything else. And, you know, People expect him. I've seen anything between like four years, 26 to four years, 40. Imanaga is going to be way more than that. I think we're going to be talking with him close to like E-Rod. that Kodai, Senga, Erod area. Like you're getting 80, 75 million. Who knows? You get desperate. It might get up to 100. You know, you're at that point now where as guys come off the market, everything else is going to get a little bit more expensive for you. So hey, you walked yourself into the spot. So now you have to pay the price. Lou, what are you hearing on uh, winter weekend? Are they going to be doing a uh, a town hall? I, yeah, actually, I'm, I don't know if that's been decided yet. Or I think it has, but I don't know who is going to be there yet. And I would say that one of the things the last year that I, I, I agree with 100%, like Bloom afterwards, when I saw him later on that night, I was like, hey, I heard it went well. You know, knowing that the booze were there. And he said, he's like, you know what? If we want to sit here up on stage uh, a year after we win a World Series, you know, and hear everybody cheer, we have to sit here and listen to these fans after the year we just had. And he's like, I think that's very important. And I would agree a thousand percent, you know, with that statement. So um, I think you just wear it. You go, you wear it, hear the booze, you know, let Jared ask you questions, you know, and because I, I don't think you can avoid it. Can you? I think they're going to try. <laughs> I don't like I feel like, you know, we're what? Three weeks away. Three weeks away from winter weekend, and we still don't know if if there's going to be a town hall. I have I don't know. I, I don't know what would change. Outside of, I guess, this Lucas Giolito signing. Where they're like, all right, yeah, we spent some money. We did something, I guess. So I, I guess we can go up there and, and and face the fans now, at least with this this uh, thin layer of protection that we at least did something. But I can't imagine that fans are going to be much happier this year than they were last year if they choose to do it. No. Um, and a lot of that comes down to that comment. Right? Like if. The full throttle comment, yeah. yeah. Like, and Warren won't be there. He doesn't. He doesn't go to these things. If it, and then that is unfortunately that's like right where it goes to, because if it was, you know, how what's changed, and if he sort of danced around it, if he didn't make that comment, 
we would just sort of sit there and say, oh, okay. And then they'd come out and they say, yeah, you know, we're still in this phase. We're still, you know, whatever. Just to, to be honest with you, I think it's like honesty. Like just, and, and that's why I'd like to see them there. Like I, I, I would like to hear John Henry, you know, and these guys like, how do you feel when you hear the fan base feels you don't care anymore? You don't want to own this team anymore. You don't want to win anymore because I don't think any of that's true. I do think he wants to win. I do think he cares. But just tell me what the philosophy has changed. You know what I mean? Tell me what you're thinking. I think he's afraid to be honest. I think they try to put him in, in a little bubble and they don't let John speak because they know he's going to say whatever comes to his mind. And quite frankly, right. I think Red Sox Nation would love that. They would love a little bit of honesty. If he came out and said, you know what, 2025, 2026, we feel like we're going to be right back in there. And that's when we spend again. People might go nuts for a little bit, but people might sit there and say, oh, well, it's better than bullshitting me for the next two years. You know what I mean? Right. And, I don't know. I hope. Hopefully, they go. Hopefully, it's. Um, I'm sure people will express their thoughts on them, but um, I think honesty is always the way to go. I think a lot of people around here look for that. You know, sure. Sometimes honesty can can be a little too honest because I mean, last year, like the the quote that stood out to me that still sticks with me is John Henry saying that baseball players are expensive. <laughs> it's like, bro, we know, but you are a fucking multi billionaire, so I do not want to hear it. Like no, no one put a gun to your head and told you that you have to own the Boston Red Sox. And if you don't want to, if you think that players are too expensive, then get out. Like if, if that's your, if that's your mentality of, oh, this is a little too expensive for me. There's another billionaire out there who would probably love to own the Boston Red Sox, one of the most premier sports franchises in the world and would be happy to spend and be competitive with the Steve Cohen's of the world and the Dodgers and all these other teams that have the money that are not afraid to put up the number that like, like Yamamoto was so eye opening. And I, I know that like we kind of got beaten into submission a little bit where uh, by the end, I don't think anyone was actually realistically expecting the Red Sox right. to, to be the winning bid or for him to end up here for, for it to even be competitive whatsoever. That's like, we shouldn't be trained to accept that. Like there was some anger, but there should be outrage. Like, like at what point do you sit here and say like, all right, yeah, like you, you the David Price contract, cool. It was, it was in the low 200s. It, the, the game has changed. Like now, mm -hmm. if you want a frontline starting pitcher, the Garrett Cole contract at this point was what, four years ago? And, and we just passed it by like $1 million. So like it's not like it's not like yes I, I, it's not lost on me that three hundred and twenty six million dollars is a fuck ton of money it is it is two million dollars more than what Garrett Cole got in December of twenty nineteen yeah so if if you're looking at the Garrett Coles of the world like the elite of the elite that's what it's going to cost and if and if you're not a, a an owner that looks at that and says okay. If that's the price tag, that's the price tag. Like we got to, we got to win. Like we're the Boston Red Sox. Like we should be in on guys like that. That is what they cost. Like the Yamamoto sweepstakes. I don't feel like got to a point where it's like, this is, this is outrageous. Like we're now at a point where this is, this is getting a little silly. Yeah. No, I, I didn't either. Cause I, I viewed it maybe as more certainty than maybe others, you know, cause it was like, well, he's never pitched in America. I'm like, I don't care. The technology in today's game tells me 
He's got a 93 percentile fastball, 92 percentile curveball, and the best split in the world. That tells and yeah. that tells me he's one of the top five pitchers in the world. And ten years plus two more pitches on top of yeah, that. Yeah, and ten years three hundred is not that much for that. But you're right. This is the price of doing business. And if you're in the business of making smart signings, then that's really not going to get the great players because none of these contracts are smart. To be honest with you, like we can admit that. Like I saw something the other day, like the top 20 contracts in baseball, there was like two that I might be interested in. You know, Garrett Cole was one of them. You know what I mean? And it was like, I wouldn't want any one of these contracts right now. None of these guys are now worth it. You know what I'm saying? So if you use that mentality of, you know, is this a smart contract? Will we get our value? You know, is this a smart decision? You know, the answer is probably not 100%. No, you know, it's no. But for the next three or four years, you know, I got an exciting player. My fan base is behind me. I'm packing this place out. I might get a player or two that wants to come play with me because I just picked up this guy. You know what I mean? Like there's more to it than just sitting back and going, Yamamoto for 10, 12 years is not a smart move. You know, Xander Bogarts for 11 years is not a smart move. You know, like we get it. But, you know, Montgomery is not a smart move for seven years for a contact guy. I get it. But Jesus, you need 30-something innings. You know, like you... There's other factors that play into this, and this is the price of baseball now. It's the Andrew Freeman line, right? Like, if you're rational about every free agent, well, guess what? You're never going to end up with the one you want. Eventually, you're going to have to get uncomfortable, yep. right? And that's yep. why I look at it and what you even do this year. Look at what the Dodgers did and what it spoke to Yamamoto. Well, when Sasaki, who's trying to you know hit the market next offseason, when he's looking for a team and he wants to go somewhere, why the hell is he going to pick you? What are you doing to attract these players and make people want to come here? And if you aren't attractive, if you can't pull the chicks, if you aren't that hot, then you need to trade for them and say, screw it. We're going to give them the money because that's the only way they're going to date us. That's the only way they're going to want to be with us. We're going to force them to hang out with us for a year till they like us. Well, that's the way you go. When you go about it this way, it's just if I'm Sasaki, unless you're going to throw some ridiculous amount of money at me, which you won't, as we saw with Yamamoto, where you're going to be the clear highest bidder, I'm not even going to give you a second visit like Yamamoto didn't. I'll give a second visit to the Yankees and Mats. I'll at least give them the time of the day. You huh, enjoy being like the Giants. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you're an afterthought in these conversations. You're not part of the main conversation. Yeah, no. And that's that is that that goes to the whole future thing of it. Right. Like you can sit there like if to me, I always felt like you, you put a team together and if everything kind of goes right, like if Bayo turns into like takes another step and turns into an absolute stud. You know, and Costas is a force and Duran, whatever. Maybe Teal comes up, you know, something. If, if a lot of things go well, you should be a no-doubt playoff team. You should never be at a spot where you need everything to go well to possibly be in it. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's where they're at, and that's where they've been at. Yeah. And <clears throat> one last thing on John Henry. I think he needs to ask himself the question of because because you said earlier that you you think that he still cares about winning. But if he were to ask himself this question, is he in the business of winning or is he in the business of making money? Like he would probably tell you both, but it's not 50 50. And if you were to divvy it up percentage wise, he's in the business of making money more than he's in the business of winning. Yeah, and I think that – see, it's funny because I think that the guy he he seems to be and how he made his money is about making smart decisions based on numbers. 
you know, and I think that right there kind of, he wants to win this. He wants to make the smart decision. You know, I think that even by bringing in Craig Breslow, and I was even told even when Breslow was hired, it was like John still believes in developing through the young players. It's his type. Like you look at Breslow and his other hires outside of Dombrowski. This is his type to a T. He just, he believes this is the way to go about it. Like, you know, you build through the young core and you get those guys up and the Red Sox have had some young position player core, not many pitching core, but young position player core. And it always seems like those are the times when these teams kind of take off, you know, like had their runs. 13 kind of came out of nowhere. All right, but we're talking about the 06, 05, 07, those kind of runs. And then all of a sudden, 18 with the next kind of group that came through. It always is something in common. It's these young core players. I think he believes in that. So I think he wants to win. I think he wants to win the way he believes he should win or can win. You know what I mean? And then, I don't know, is it some game to show that he can do it? I, I have no idea. Um, but you're right. And I think, but Jared, what you're getting to is, mm. dude, I don't want you to make any revenue on the Red Sox. Like, that's what the fans want. If you make yeah. 75, 80 million in revenue, go sign two pitchers instead. You know what I mean? Like you're you're worth how much billion dollars? I get it. This is like the attitude of the fan. How many more millions, how many more billions do you need? Right. Don't make 100 million in revenue on the Red Sox. Spend that on three players and win the World Series. Break even because you just want to win, right? right? That's what you're looking for. Instead of going to buy the PGA Tour, which is like the big headlines we're seeing over the last month or so that Fenway Sports Group is all dipping their hands in. It's That's what we're seeing in terrible look. It's a terrible look because, I mean, twice, twice this offseason when we heard that Steve Cohen was flying to Japan to meet with Yamamoto. We had Linda Pizzuti posting pictures of Tom Warner and John Henry partying on a yacht in Miami. Uh, and then as the sweepstakes is wrapping up for Yamamoto, we're getting breaking news about like Fenway Sports Group is spending billions of dollars on on the PGA Tour. And it's like, all right, dude. Like you can sit here and tell me that you care about winning still, but it doesn't look like it to me. Like, like visually, it doesn't look like it. Your actions do not reflect this. So I I don't Mm -hmm. care at this point what you have to say about it. It, Like your actions do not sync up with your words. And the same thing with Breslow. And it's not his fault. Like, I'm not even I'm not even like saying that Breslow has control over this. He doesn't. I think that just like Heim Bloom, I think that Craig Breslow is in over his head right now. I think that he is finding out like, fuck, I, I didn't really know what I was signing up for here uh, in terms of how to, again, when you're, you're a, a, a CBO or you're a GM, you are a financial advisor for a multi-billion dollar owner. And you can advise all you want, but you still have to sell that individual on, hey, Put some money here. Put some money there. If your selling point isn't strong enough, they're like, thanks for the advice, but I'm all set. <laughs> like Breslow can go in and give this whole presentation to John Henry about how excellent yeah. that he thinks Yamamoto is. And John Henry can turn right around and be like, yeah, but the PGA, though, I'm, I'm kind of, you know what? <laughs> Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Woods, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> like, like, like that's what John Henry's saying to yeah. Breslow. So I, I you know, I, I feel like, they can say these things, but until their actions reflect them, and I know that Tom Warner is never going to live down the full throttle comment. Yes, it's been beaten into the ground at this point, but I mean, you can't say something like that to a fan base that's already frustrated. Like, it's not like, oh man, like we won, 
We won 91 games and we missed out on the wild card by like a game or two. But, you know, we're going to run it back next year. and We'll be a little bit better. And maybe we'll get it's like, no, no, no. Back to back last place years, three yeah. out of four last place seasons and a bunch of just fucking uh, a, a complete philosophy pivot from where you were outbidding teams. Maybe it was the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe it wasn't. But you were you were spending big money on free agents. You were trading for superstars and then giving them contract extensions for premier free agent dollars. And then you stopped doing that. And then you stopped winning. You shut off the faucet. But then you kind of told us, hey, we're going to turn it back on. Don't worry. Full throttle this winter. And then you gave a one-year deal to Lucas Giolito. That's what you did. Like, you can't expect the fan base to be happy about that. That's why I hope there is a town hall. Like, whether I'm up there or not, I hope there's a town hall because they need to continuously hear how pissed off the fan base is because they deserve that. They deserve to hear it. Yeah, you know, you, you, it's funny. You hit on that one thing, like, with Breslow. And I remember he will go way back to when he was hired. It was just like, yeah, I'm just kind of really curious to see who he brings in, like, who the experienced guy is that he brings in, right? Um, because Greg Breslow could be turn out to be a Hall of Fame GM decision maker does not mean that experience doesn't matter in year one, year two, talking to an agent, talking to another team, talking to your own owner, trying to convince him what he should do. And as far as I know, it really hasn't happened, right? It's just sort of him. But you mentioned it when all those things happen, trading for stars and signing big players, you had Dave Dombrowski, you know, who'd been around a long, long time as a Hall of Famer walking into that room and saying, sign this. Why? Because we need the player, John. You know, sign that we're making this trade. Really? He's good. Well, because we need to. Like, it was almost like you had a GM that was probably walking into an owner saying, I need this guy. I need you to write me a check for this. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I don't know. So I'm doing that. Is Breslow doing that? You know, the, does John need a little bit of push convincing? Like, and I'm sure Dave Dombrowski did. I'm guessing many times he walked in there and had some arguments about needing more money to spend and wanting more stars. Right? Yeah. And John needs, needs to be convinced a little bit of that sometimes. Yeah, I tried to make that point on the podcast a few weeks ago about how Dave Dombrowski was just better at convincing John Henry on how to spend his money. Better than Heim Bloom was, better than Craig Breslow is. He was just better at it. Like, yeah. hey, here's what we want to do. Here's why we want to do it. Here's what we need from you. And more often than not, John Henry was like, sounds good, Dave. Sounds good to me. <laughs> And they then will go out and get the player. But my question is the way Dombrowski was pushed out, where I think a lot of people at the moment and now even looking back say, well, it was very quick. It, it, you move quickly like you were trying to eliminate something that was bothering you or that was a problem. Well, did he just get sick of someone forcing his hand, being able to make the point, maybe convince the people around John Henry, the Tom Warners, hey, we got to do this, get in his ear, all these different things and getting him out of the way with Bloom and Breslow was his way around it where the end of the day, guys, you're new. This is your first time doing this job. I'm the big dog. I'm the big dog. I'm the owner. I've been here. I got four rings. How many you got? You know, you kind of have to fall under. And that's where I wonder if John Henry is. Does he not care to push those guys getting that veteran voice? Someone to sit underneath them, someone to work with Breslow, who maybe would get in his ear that older voice and say, go hold his balls to the fire. Go push yeah. him in there. You need to do that. That's part of this job. He's not going to tell you to do that because he doesn't want to spend money. You know, it's yeah. his job. To- 
Yeah, it's like, what did he say? He said, no, get your ass back in. Go. And don't take no for an answer. You know? And that's my question. Do they not care to make him go make that hire to go get one of those older voices? Because they know what comes with that. It's someone who's been mm-hmm. in that spot. It knows what you need to do to push those guys and make them spend that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see. You know, hopefully. Who knows? And this is why, this is why I'd love for them to, to go to this, this, whatever you call it, you know, town hall and. And be honest. I think people would love that. You know, like three years ago, whatever, when John Henry said, we got to stay under the CBT. And Sam Kennedy and Heim Bloom were like, whoa, whoa, you know, trying to, no, no, it's not a mandate. We won't, you know, it's like, no, actually, your owner just said it. And there was actually some honesty. And he was honest. And right now, you guys aren't being honest because you're going to act, you know, you are going to stay under. So we actually got the honesty from the owner, like more of that. Just let me know what's going on. You know, let me know what's going on. Is there... Is, is it two more years away before we're going to spend ever again? Do you not believe in spending ever again? Like, you know, just just tell me what's going on so I have an idea, right? Oh, so, uh, God. Well, who knows? A few yeah. weeks away now. But kind of going back to what you said at the very, very beginning of the podcast, like, I don't want them to spend just to spend. I mean, the move was Yamamoto. Like, you weren't going to yeah. get Otani. Fine. Whatever. But the move was Yamamoto. And I, I don't think that they made a, a valiant enough effort. Like, I heard the meeting went great. And he loved the presentation. But the presentation is the fucking check. Like, you can sell him on the Fenway experience and the history of the team and the ballpark and all that shit. Um, the direction moving forward. The presentation is the suitcase full of money. And I totally agree that if the Red Sox offer was in the ballpark of those other offers, you bet your ass that that ownership group is leaking what their offer was so that the fans wouldn't be like, well, all right, fine. We tried, you know, like they, they don't want their fucking, you know, $180 million offer getting leaked. But if they if they put 320 on the table, yeah, you bet your ass that that would be out there somewhere by now. Mm-hmm. So like I don't at this point once Yamamoto went somewhere else and I already had the acceptance that he wasn't coming here long before that. Uh that was kind of the off season for me. Like I like Lucas Giolito is a nice consolation prize. I love the guy. Um I'm interested to see what his what his season looks like cuz it was obviously he was having a good year. Uh, before he got traded twice or got <laughs> changed teams twice. So that was it. I, I don't want the Red Sox to spend just because everyone is saying that they need to spend. I want them to spend big, but I want them to spend smart. And they didn't do that with Yamamoto. And I guess now like it's there's no point in just being like, all right, fine. You guys are mad that we didn't spend. Like here's Snell and Montgomery. It's like, yeah, okay. But All even right. if but you don't why- get Montgomery, right? Like we're we're talking, he's probably gonna get about twenty five million at this point. You're at two oh eight right now. That's two thirty three. You have four million before the luxury tax. You don't have a second baseman, and you don't have the Turner replacement. So like that's over the luxury tax. My fear is, I, I don't. I very I question very heavily at this point if you're gonna get over that. I think that's why you're pivoting from Montgomery. We're talking Paxton in a trade, and they end up under that luxury tax and. You know, maybe it's a more complete team than it was a year ago. And that's where you tip your cap to a Breslow over Heim, made it work a little bit better with the money he had in the limit. But, you know, that 
doesn't feel like the conversation we should be having as Red Sox fans. It should be, no. oh, we're at 250. We're at 270 like those other clubs that now live up there and have no interest in going back down. The reality was it was about Yamamoto, period, end of story, right? Because yeah. and, and and it's just like this wild west of Red Sox Twitter. I'm like Sometimes I just have to walk away because it, it is like... Kenley's a bad Seth human, Lou. Lou. Yeah, it's like yeah, what the fuck was that about? No, what's that? The fucking tweet about Kenley being a bad teammate from yeah. Oh, what the fuck was that? Yeah, well, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. Like Kenley Jansen is one of the worst teammates someone's ever played with, and I'm like, you got a bad source. Like I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Like he's a solid individual. I don't get that. He and JT I mean a lot to that locker room, but mm-hmm. like you go all the way back, like say Seth Lugo, and it's like, oh my god, please don't give me Seth Lugo. The guy sucks. The guy, the guy's that Seth Lugo signs with Kansas City. Oh, I can't believe we got outbid by Kansas City Royals. I wanted that guy. It's like no, you were just shredding him. This is like, it's like, go out and get Snell. And then someone's like, they got to do something. But I don't want Snell because I don't think he's a guy that can pitch here and he's 130 innings. And then Montgomery is, is you know, too much contact, not enough swing and miss. So people are arguing that they want that. And I feel like they want that so they can then bitch about the player and the team for wasting money on a player that's not that good. It's just like all over the place. And when it's all settled, it's like, you missed on Yamamoto. That was it. And it's almost like just you're going to give more price, more money to Snell and Montgomery than you did David Price, and they, and and you know it doesn't make any sense. It's like where's this thing going? Just tell me it's going to be another couple of years. I don't know. Make a big trade. Go give me another starter. Like, but the the Twitter, it's like people are just angry. There's nothing that they could do. People that, are angry. I mean, they, they they just can't wait to pounce. Like it's out out of control and i feel like there's more people trying to get into the space that are trying to prove that they're sourced out and everything else and you're like everybody slow the fuck down <laughs> let's just see what happens you know you're not going to be favors to win the world series it's not you have them all here it ain't gonna happen like put a rotation together hell last year they're eight games over 500 august 7th august 20th rather a game and a half out can i turn that into september 20th can i just Fucking be in it, mm. you know. Make the team better. It's, but it's nuts. Sometimes you just gotta walk away. That's right, Lou. Sometimes you just gotta walk away. Stay sane. <laughs> That's it. Drink heavily. Do something. I don't know. A glass of wine. Relax. Lou, it's, uh, it's a, thank you. Thank you for sharing your Saturday morning with us. This is uh, yeah. This has been a nice surprise. Do you feel better? I do. <laughs> It's nice. so I do. Breakfast with the boys. I have a lot of conversations like this with myself, anyways. Yeah, you know, I'm going for walks or whatever it is, and it's sort of like it, it, when you're done, you so you got to talk it through sometimes. You know, yeah, yeah. you got to talk it through, and it's nice knowing that others out there are feeling the same way you are. Um, so I got fantasy camp in a couple weeks. There you go. Go down to Fort Misery. Mm-hmm. Going to hang out down there, although it's, it's a little bit nicer. It's not Fort Misery anymore. It's a little bit nicer, yeah. and uh, just see what they do. And hopefully in three weeks, when we go to winter weekend, they're up there at the podium and they've added another two or three players and you can start to see it taking shape. Yeah. But it's never going to be a World Series contender opening day. It just isn't. No, no. More. No, it's definitely Past not that. going to be. A- anytime, like, especially now, like uh, I- I'll-, I'll text Lou to come on the podcast and I feel bad because this is already the second time that he's been on this offseason. But then I'm like, I'm, I'm doing him a favor. Like, this man is going to lose his fucking mind if he doesn't yeah. just get this out. I'm doing nothing. My wife is just like, I don't know who the fuck Jolito is, but we just had a 40-minute conversation with it. She's like, I didn't know any of this stuff, you know? And <laughs> I'm, 
I'm just talking to her like I'm talking to you guys. And eventually she just looks at me and she's like, you don't even care that I don't know. You just need to get this off your chest. No, I'm like, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. You know, this is the way it's been going. I think she can't wait for me to leave. Quite awesome. Yeah, we're definitely... We're definitely gonna have to have you back on one more time before the season starts. Oh yeah, oh, this yeah. kind of—it's good for you. It's good for you. I feel like you know this is this is what you needed. It, it is. It's it like really a checkpoint. We had Lou at the beginning. We kind of have him in the middle, and then at the end, we'll check in one last time before we go mm-hmm. through the season. <laughs> yeah. The ho- hopefully the end doesn't just start off with Lou. What do you think? I don't know. Like, this is it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like hopefully this. There's going to be like a few more things, another starting pitcher. Maybe a, I think there's going to be some trades. Okay. I think there's going to be some trades. I think he's making some moves. He's adding some depth. Um, there's a lot of arms in that bullpen. Kenley kind of makes sense. You know, yeah. there's, there's going to be some trades because I, I think they, they just know they need a young, controllable starter, don't they? Like, the, and if it's an uncomfortable trade, so be it. You, you, you got to have that, right? There might be a trade that surprises people a little bit. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. Scoop shot. Scoop shot. Scoop shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might be a trade Scoop that shot. surprises some people. Scoop shot. I don't know if you want to bring it up because I kind of. I like it too. We'll see. Yeah. We can, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, when we do the check in with Lou, we can talk about <laughs> if it happens. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. This, this is like an end of podcast, like eyeballs tease. This is nice. People yeah. are like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, when people yeah. start tweeting, I, I can't wait to see how people try to tweet that out. Jared mentions potential secret trade, but no <laughs> actual context to anything. It's just yeah. potential secret trade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. yeah. You just never know. You never mm-hmm. know what's going to happen out here. Um, and one that makes sense. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. <clears throat> um, Jake's takes. I just love the thought that if we didn't hop on for a two-hour podcast this morning, Lou just would have been sitting on his couch doing it by himself. So <laughs> yeah. happy we were able to this is hop true. in Probably and get some of those takes. Gone for a walk, <laughs> sat on the couch. So maybe watch a quick movie at some eggs. Yeah. You got to look at some of the noon football games. Yeah. See if I need any action. There you go. <laughs> uh, Tyler, any final thoughts today? Uh, yeah. Yesterday was uh, my dog Sam's 10th birthday. So uh, it was a good wow. day. We had a lot of fun and send wishes if you have a chance. Honestly, congratulations to to Sam for making it 10 years living with a, a canine serial killer. That All is right. uh, no need. But a- this is my first dog to reach a decade. So I do take that as an achievement. And maybe people oh, will know. start to look at me as not a killer. Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, serial killers have wives, you know, like the what the BTK killer had a whole family. Listen. All I'm saying is I saw that picture of your dog on Christmas, Jared. Looks like a nice pup. <laughs> yeah. That's Jacoby, right? That's Jacoby. Real nice pup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's still gone. 16 years old. Still gone. 16. Jesus. 16. Yeah, he's a gangster. <clears throat> um, Loomer, any final thoughts here today? No, I'm good, man. Like I said, it's just sometimes I get into it. Sometimes I got to walk away. I think that's just advice for a lot of people on Dread Sox Twitter. Yeah. You know, the judging, there's plenty of time to judge. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in a judge-free zone right now, like yeah. publicly. And then yeah. in about three or four weeks, that's when you kind of judge. Sure. See really what it looks like. So, yeah. All right. Uh, we'll, stay we'll, positive. We'll, we'll have friends. you back. When, when when something, maybe 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 if like a super secret trade goes down, maybe we'll have you back for some reaction to that. 
that yes and we can you can replay the the tease of your possible mm. secret trade that makes mm. sense yeah when it does right. go down yeah they we'll told me you had no way. sources jared <laughs> people keep saying that um it's it that's my final thought is i it, i do it's not it's not annoying to me it is funny to me when actual reporters report stuff that i say on this show like three or four weeks later like it happens all the fucking time and then people will just go and like cite them and be like oh like so and so said this I'm like we said that on the podcast like in fucking november <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh if you listen hey that's the benefit of the podcast you get, sometimes you get a little tease sometimes you get an actual nug you never know you never know what you're gonna get but you you Good did job. get loomer loney today yes um king of red Sox twitter follow him on twitter if you're not already i'm sure you are um but happy new year lou you too boys we'll all be right. in touch Hell yeah. soon we enough we will yes. be all right be good all right guys take it easy buenas noches amigos